Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Thursday edition of Sports Call, live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. My name is Ryan Lavoy, the host of this great program. Today I've got T.P. Hammock and Brooks Childress with me as we have a fun show planned for you on this Thursday. Coming up in just under a half an hour, Andy Burcham, the voice of the Auburn Tigers, will join us. He'll talk all things uh, Auburn football and really Auburn athletics as there's a lot to talk about in the world of Auburn athletics with various sports teams having success this past weekend. Also Auburn basketball just a few weeks away from tip-off. So really excited to talk to Andy about everything going on with Auburn athletics. Athletics here again at 3.30 today. We'll talk a little Atlanta Braves after a destructive night on the baseball diamond, losing 10-2 to Philadelphia. The season on the line tonight at Citizens Bank Ballparks. We'll talk a little bit about that series and the other MLB series. The Braves-Phillies is the last series standing. Not guaranteed to go five games, but it's the only series still in action. So we will talk a little bit about some MLB. We'll also, of course, talk some Auburn LSU as we get closer and closer, just over 48 hours away from Auburn returning after the bye week against the Bayou Bengals. And then on this Thursday, as we do each and every Thursday, we'll talk some NFL. We'll get you set for another week of NFL football as week six gets underway tonight with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Denver Broncos. And, of course, we want to hear from you on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9, Tiger 9, if you want to call in, have any questions for us, or chat about anything going on in the sports world. Again, Ryan, TP, and Brooks with you here on this Thursday. We'll start with you, TP. Good to see you this afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well uh, on this gloomy Thursday. It feels uh, it's a little cool. It's kind of humid. It's a it's kind of an odd day for Auburn. It's usually either really bright or just storming. So, but uh, yeah, I've been doing well. Uh, fall break has uh, started for me now, so I get to uh, have tomorrow off. But I only have two classes tomorrow. Some one of my professors called it a a fall day off. So it's no longer a break really. But yeah, I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to. Um, I didn't have to rush over here because one of my classes didn't meet. So looking forward to hearing. Uh, from all of our callers and getting to talk some uh, sports as we always do on a Thursday. Absolutely. And Brooks Childress, who was at the high school coaches show last night, had a, a busy, good turnout last night. And I appreciate you being back with us this afternoon. How are you? I'm great. We had a lot of great discussions last night at the high school coaches show, like you said, with uh, some of the area coaches. So we're getting closer and closer to that playoff time here. just a few weeks away, but uh, we still got a few weeks of some really interesting high school football uh, action this week. Um, and, and it's, you know, it all starts tonight. I know Lochapoca's got their game tonight up in Beulah against Otagaville. And so it's a, it, it's a, it's a big night for high school football, big week for high school football, I should say. Uh, and so we appreciate 
appreciate all the coaches coming out talking to us last night. Appreciate everybody out there that listens uh, and listens to our uh, high school coverage around the area. Uh, we, we do we try to do a good job of covering the local stories going on around uh, the high school sports here. But other than that, doing good. Um, Braves, man, I, I want to say they took it on the chin, but that was more of a gut punch last night. It, it, you took it on the chin in game one. This one was a you 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 got one a hit back on that game two, and then they just kind of they gave you a sucker punch last night. And so you got to recover. You know you had to put last night behind you. You're playing for everything's on the line tonight. It, it's game uh, game four. Everything's on the line. You either win and you keep playing another one, or you lose and it, your your historic season looks like it's not for anything really. It's except for you putting your name in some of the record books. But uh, if you're the Braves, you, you got to you know figure stuff out tonight and hopefully they can they can bounce back and uh, and uh, and get a get a win force that game five on Saturday uh, back at Truist Park in front of your home fans um, watched a little bit of hockey last night the hockey season got started I think Tuesday uh, we talked about it a little bit but watched a little late night hockey last night so that was fun watched the Kings and the um, gosh I don't even remember who the Kings oh the Avalanche uh, Nathan McKinnon and the Avalanche were playing last night uh, so watched a little bit of that and um, yeah, can't wait for some football. Uh, we've had football all week, but can't wait for you know Thursday night football tonight. Um, I, I've already been instructed that we are to be that uh, by by my wife that we are to be seated for the kickoff of the game tonight. As it uh, apparent TMZ is reporting that Taylor Swift's going to be back. I know people are not you know kind of tired of hearing about the Taylor Swift around the NFL, but um, it's unprecedented times in the children's household <laughs> where I'm told that we have to be sitting for a football game. I'm not the one doing the telling. Like we got a football game coming up, um, and so it's a uh, it's a big night for a big big uh, leading into a big weekend of high, of high school, college, and NFL football. So I can't wait to talk about all of it. Yeah, pretty wild stuff that dynamic of uh, <laughs> and, and with the Braves going on. Yeah. You know, she's probably going to be more in the football game than you will be. So uh, I, I I told you a minute, a little bit ago, we've got a we got the TV in the living room, and then we got a smaller TV in the bedroom that we never use. We it's just never on. That's going to be used tonight, and I'm going to be walking back and forth in between uh in between the two rooms. Well, I, I wish you great uh great success with your walking tonight, <laughs> and uh, may you be captivated in. by the bedroom TV for once. <laughs> Uh, so let's get going here on this Thursday edition of the show. Again, we'll talk some Auburn LSU coming up in just a little bit. We'll have Andy Burcham on to preview that game, preview the rest of the season, preview Auburn basketball, talk about all the things Auburn sports related again at 3.30. But uh, let's start with that Braves game. Of course, you can listen to all the action throughout the postseason, and hopefully that's more than just tonight on 12.30 WAUD Auburn. And so – when we think about this this game last night, I think a lot of people focused on the decision to leave Elder in uh, for Harper, who hits the three-run homer, hits it 400-plus feet, and effectively with how the game turned out, basically ended the game. I, I know 4-1 to one in the third is not usually by any means the end of the game, but it got the crowd uh, hysterical, and the Braves never really got their footing after that. They gave up some more runs just after that. I think it was 6-1. to one. Uh, And so basically it felt like that kind of ended things. I, I for one, though, I don't focus on that decision. You, you could say it was a poor decision because of Elder's struggles coming in, even though he is a starter. Who cares about covering inter- innings on the bullpen? I get it. I'm not saying – I'm not defending that decision, but I'm simply offered to you that – it is not 
why the Braves lost, nor is it anywhere near where the Braves lost. It's kind of the lower down the totem pole issue. The real issue here is the Braves have played three games in this series, and they have only scored seven runs. And that's that's just over two a game. And if you had asked me with with no other context, like you like you can see the future, but you're not telling me the future, Ryan. What's more likely through three games? The Braves have seven runs, or are averaging seven runs through three games. Mm. And even with the postseason being more difficult to score, I would have said with this historic offense, 50-50 shot, I'm taking seven runs per game, not seven runs total in three games. And at this point, that's beyond a lineup. Uh, that's beyond, you know, game three. You'd be hoping we talked about the nearly week layoff. You'd be hoping that you'd be getting actively better. They did have more hits last night than they did in Game 2, but they did not have powerful hits, whereas in Game 2 they had a couple of very key powerful hits. And so only two homers in this series. The Phillies were hitting two an inning, it felt like. They hit two, and I think they hit six last night. I, what's the path back? I mean, do you – how or let's not ask the path back. We know the path back. you got to have a great Spencer Strider out, and you got to actually warm up the bats. Yeah. You had, a great, you had a good Spencer Strider out in the last right, time he pitched yeah. in this series. Yeah, you, you just need another one, honestly. But what to you? How confident are you that the Braves' bats will awake in time? It's uh, how co- not confident. I, I I couldn't give you a and you know Steve always when he calls and he asks for percentages. I couldn't give you a percentage of how confident I am, but it's not high. Um, it's it, it you know it, just because you haven't seen it so far. If if you're gonna if you're the Braves right now and you're gonna win if you want to have any shot of winning, uh, you know I'm I'm not even gonna say the series shot tonight to get get it to a game five. You've got to uh, have a very similar almost repeat performance of what Spencer Strider did in game one pitching, and then then you have to uh, at least score what three. Uh, and uh, that's not you know that's the that's the thing is you're like oh the, you, you know the Braves offense can score three runs can they it, it just it doesn't feel like it it doesn't feel like it right now and I know that may be that may be the the depressed Braves fan in me that's just that that's frustrated right now after watching this team all year put up ungodly numbers and then just hit the hit a wall uh, during this NLDS but. Um, you, you've got to, you know, it, you just need, I don't think even the bats need to fully wake up. I think you just need some production from, uh, some, some more production from Acuna. You need some more production from Matt Olson. Matt Olson's been kind of, kind of, at least scoring wise has been kind of, uh, disappeared. Um, you know, that, that game two, you had Albies step up, you had Austin Riley step up, Travis Darno step up. And when you're looking at this lineup, it's those three guys. Yeah, you know, Ozzy obviously uh, and Austin are there at the top of the lineup. When you're looking at when you say, "Hey, who are guys that you're that's going to produce runs?" You're thinking Acuna. You're thinking uh, you're thinking Matt Olson, Sean Murphy. You're thinking uh, you're you're also thinking Austin Riley and Ozzy Albies. You're Travis Darno's not a name that comes up. He can hit the ball and he's been good this year. But when you're you know when you look at the top of the order and you're saying these are the guys that are going to help us 
uh, or that are going to produce the most runs here. Travis Darnot is not the name that comes to mind. He 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 did some good things in that game too, but you know you need you really really need uh, Matt Olson and you need Ronald Acuna Jr. to step up here tonight and and hit some uh, hit some very important uh, uh, get some very important hits. Um, I'll tell you what what would be amazing. Who's who's Philly throwing tonight? Is it? It's Ranger Suarez, same person as Game One. So, I I think what you need, and this is a big ask, but we've seen him do it all year long. You need a, a first at bat home run from Ronald Acuna. You need to get the energy because we saw you know you like you said Ryan the the four runs uh, the four to one lead in the third or is not a death sentence when it comes to baseball, especially this Braves team and especially this era of baseball where runs are scored all, you know, all nine innings you have runs scored. But after that Philadelphia Citizens Bank Park became a zoo after that um, Harper home run last night, you kind of felt the energy sucked out of the Braves dugout. What you need is you need to go in and you need Ronald Acuna Jr. to walk up there and just kill the baseball and you need it to land about where those two guys were standing on the roof uh, in right field above that Harper home run and take the crowd out of it early because that there it's a you know the postseason crowd at Citizens Bank Park is is one of the most raucous environments in baseball you need to take them out early and and it's a big you know it's a big ask it's it, but it's something it's not it, it's not like I'm asking Orlando Arcia to go up there and hit a uh, lead off home run. I, Ronald Acuna has done this and he's done it several times this year. You need a big play in that first inning and get that crowd out of it early, and then you need a and really a big inning. You need you need a run and you need a big inning in the first inning, and then the bottom of the first. When you're when you got Spencer Strider up there, you need him to shut him down in that first inning, and take that crowd immediately out of it. And then that's what you need. Just and I, again, not saying to win the series. You just need to win tonight. That's what that's what we're focusing on is winning. I, I want to. You got to win tonight to get to the, back to Truist Park. So to answer your question, yes, I do think the Braves bats can wake up. I mean, well, last night they had ten hits. And I think the big change was with the Harper home run, obviously. But for people saying, "Oh, they should have, they should have pulled him," whenever it was that he he'd only he was been doing great, and there was two outs, so it was just down to Bryce Harper. And it wasn't like you know Elder was doing bad. It was just that you know it's Bryce Harper. That's one of the best bats in the whole entire you know league. So yeah, he's going to hit a home run. But after that, it felt like because the Braves had put up a run at the top of that inning, it felt like the Braves got really impatient after that, where if they'd get a run on, they would just try to kill it. And you just kept seeing these pop-ups, pop-ups, pop-ups. It seemed like they got really impatient at the plate whenever they got behind. They wanted to get it all back with one swing of the bat, and that wasn't happening because they were just trying to kill it. So that became very apparent, and then it just felt like towards that end, they just kind of like mailed it in. You know, they got they got that run, but it just didn't feel like – I don't know. There were some very poor plate appearances. I know uh, I know some were saying that the ump had some questionable calls, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, the Braves were swinging at some of those very questionable uh, pitches. So it just felt like the Braves, they were having really good plate appearances up until that bottom half of the inning. And it just felt like they went into kind of this panic mode where it's just like, oh, we got to get it all back right here in the top of the fourth inning. No, that's not how it works. You know, you have plenty of innings to go. And they did a, their pitching, you know, they were able, I mean, they didn't have another like blow up like they did in, um, 
inning three, they did give up some runs, and then the the dam proverbially broke in the bottom of the eighth. But you know, at that point, you know, it was kind of already over. But yeah, it just felt like the Braves got really impatient at the plate, and it just didn't look like the Braves that we had seen all year long, where they were, you know, drilling in runs and all that. And honestly, this whole entire season or this series, we haven't really seen that Braves team outside of that. It was the bottom of the uh, eighth, I, I believe, or whenever they came to life and they got uh, they they stole that win from Philadelphia at uh, Truist Park. So I just feel like the Braves. You know, tonight, this is, you know, this is it. You know, this is, well, it's not the end, but you got to win this game. So we see this a lot in sports where a team is backed up against the wall and they, they come out with their best punch. So I, I do expect the Braves' bats to wake up, but um, the problem is the Phillies' bats are alive and well. So I think we could see a very high scoring game in Philadelphia tonight. And I think that, you know, going back to what you said, Brooks, with the Acuna part of it, I, I think that that would qualify here what I'm looking for is with the Braves first real scoring opportunity they need to take advantage with a powerful hit Uh, again 10 hits last night nine of them from the first five in your order like those are really good things usually I mean the Braves have a 40 home run hitter leading off they have a 30 home run hitter, hitter second Riley neared 40 at third Olsen hit 54 at cleanup, and Ozuna hit 40 and fifth. Okay, that's literally in five spots. That is roughly 200 homers just from those five players. And so when you have nine hits of those five guys, you expect that something to be powerful there. But only one of those nine hits went for extra bases. It was an Acuna double. And so when you have a scoring opportunity tonight and and look strider might be able to hold philly to another run or two like like he's good enough to do that he did it in game one i can still see the scenario where they can hold him down to a couple runs but they're not going to shut him out and philly's offense is really good so if they get to strider early you could be talking about another six seven run output and so the braves need on their first offensive opportunity when it's first and second with one out or runner on, runners on the corners, no out, or two out, whatever. They don't need the RBI single. They need a two-RBI double, or they need a three-run homer. They need that powerful strike that is de- truly demoralizing to the other team. The little RBI single's nice, and and look, if you're down a run late or, or tied late or whatever, that's what beggars can't be choosers. That's awesome is what you needed. But early in a game when you're trying to set a tone, you need that big – big blast and it's kind of like in basketball where you know you can hit this little mid-range jumper hit a nice layup good backdoor cut that's nice but you hit a couple three balls that crowd's going to start to get a little bit disgruntled you know or at home you, you they're not at home tonight but you hit a couple threes at home crowd starts to really go wild and so it's only worth one more point but it feels different. Mm. And that's how this would be. Like you might hit the two run double, you might hit a two run homer or something instead of an, a sack fly or something. And it's one, just one more run. But that's big when it shifts momentum the way that it can. And once Philly starts to have to worry about powerful hits and, and guys that feel locked in, that's a different mindset as a pitcher because you start to worry about the implications of poor pitches being homers and doubles and triples and not 
you know, just, oh, that's a nice line drive single left field. Oh, that's a nice line drive to right. All right. Well, because it, it takes three to four of those to score. I mean, it's why, it's why the Braves had, what, four or five hits in game two, but five runs. And they had ten hits the other night and had two runs. And you say, well, this is the postseason, and, like, you're asking for these big hits. I mean, they don't come easily. Yeah, but this team, it has literally never come easier in the history of the Atlanta Braves than this team. Like, this is the team to criticize not having powerful hits, having a bunch of singles, but not a bunch of powerful hits. They need that. When when you're watching playoff basketball and Mike Breen yells bang on a three and it's against <laughs> your team, that's demoralizing. Yes. That's the type of call you need to hear tonight on that TBS broadcast is you need to hear Brian Anderson losing his voice, much like he did. There's a in the, the sports report that plays at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. There's the I, – I haven't – spoiler alert the, – the Brian Anderson call of that Harper homer is in there. When you, when you hear that, and I know a lot of Braves fans probably heard it last night, but when you hear that again, that's the type of call that you need in your favor tonight With when Brian Anderson almost loses his voice on a home run call. that That's what you need tonight is you need some big hits. This is the team that produced the poor Larry a crown <laughs> phrase earlier this year. when you when you And it was Ozzie Albies was at the plate in that extra inning game against the Mets, and it didn't look like he – like it just looked like he kind of like half swung at it, and it blasted into the chop house that's the what that that's what with the type of hit that you need is what you're talking about ryan you need those hits you and listen i'll even rephrase i'll I'll take a step back of what i said acuna leading off the game with a home run would be phenomenal if you can get acuna on base his first at bat and let him start moving around the bases and you that could that also works is then you get you know some of these you know like you said if, if the Braves if you get to a point where the Braves are only hitting singles if you got a guy like Acuna moving around those bases that single is a run real quick if he you know if it's Austin Riley on on first a single is not a run right there it, it's going to take what you said the three four hits to get to that point where you get a run across but if you can get Acuna on base that first at bat and you let him start moving around the base. This it's it's a guy who broke records score uh, st- stealing bases this year. If you can get him to start moving around those bases, and you can start getting in those the the Phillies head, getting Ranger Suarez's head a little bit right off the bat. That that's when you that that's when you can start getting those big hits when he's not fully locked in on the the player at the plate. You know, I, sometimes I resent, uh, I, I used to resent a coach or someone that would say. You look like you're not having any fun. Smile. And like you'd already be down or something like that. But it kind of feels like that's what the Braves need to do. This was an incredibly loose team this year. A team that has its celebrations. A team that has its fun. They did the little hand dance in Philadelphia. And, you know, they started to have a little bit of that top top of the third when Acuna scored. And he looks at the camera in the dugout and he starts yelling a little bit. But it's like just in general, the vibe around this team, like they, it's like they are too aware of the moment. It's almost like they need to be a little naive to the moment mm. and kind of return themselves to the place that they were this year when they could come back on anyone at any time. And anyone in the lineup could hit a homer. And the freaking eight, nine hitters, the eight hitter goes to an all-star game, the nine hitter hits up 292 after hitting like buck 60 for a month and a half. Like, again, this lineup is legitimately good. Three to four games does not change what 162 says this team was. And again, that's, you know, I, I don't want to use it today because we've done it 
every other day this week, but that's when the format comes into play and, and what has robbed this, these teams of that because the Dodgers went through it too. Mookie Betts had zero hits against the D-backs. Zero. Freddie Freeman had one. Those are two of the top four MVP candidates. They had one hit. You know, that that is not some uh, some fluky thing, I don't feel like. And then on top of that, it's just like that also tells you the suddenness of these playoffs, that this is a three out of five series. And we talked about the random teams the Braves would lose three-game series to this year. You're not blessed with a long enough opportunity to get this back and for your talent to win out. Because I'll tell you, I don't care what happens. My Phillies can win 13-1. to Braves are a better team, period. Now, when they need to be, who's better? It's been Philly. Okay, but that doesn't change. Uh, three to four games does not change. When you play 13 against them in the regular year, you play 162, you beat them by double digits. That doesn't change who's better. But it does, you have to put it up when it matters the most. And I think the Braves are too aware of that. I think they are too uptight about that. And ruining a an all-time season from your franchise, again, is is on their mind. And so, like, we are all panicked about it, nervous about it. You know, we're uptight about it, sure. But I think the real key for them is to get back who they are. And it's not, oh, they, they hit bombs and, you know, they, they you know, steal a couple bases and they, they are, in general, a pretty good pitching team. It's more than that. It's about the attitude and the approach, too. And it's about being able to have the chemistry. That's why I didn't like the game one lineup change. It's about the chemistry of everyone knows their role. Everyone everyone knows who's hitting behind who. And that part of it has fell off. And again, I get it. I don't expect them to be happy about it when they're down 8-2, 9-2, 10-2 late in that game. But that's something that seems like it's not existed. Like you see even in the first inning of a one nothing or or 0-0 game, like you just don't have not seen that. And so I, that's why it's important to start early, but it's also important to get something for them because they're probably not. Again, I'm, I'm, they're probably not going to come out having a lot of fun unless they do something well early on. But it's why that's essential because they need to rediscover who they are. And and I thought they would after game two. Now I I did not think they'd win both games in Philly. I th- I thought they'd split them, and and maybe they still do. But you felt like after that comeback, you you'd get them. But they waste a lot of opportunities in the in the first couple of innings, and then Philly takes the lead and it's gone. It's just like that because we're talking about these individual moments and these shortened series. And how quickly momentum ebbs and flows. You need something powerful. You need something fun early tonight. And I, I think that that is absolutely going to have to be required uh, if they're going to survive one more game in Philly. We need to take our first time out of the show. When we come back, the voice of the Auburn Tigers, Andy Bertram, to talk a little bit about Auburn LSU, about this football team, and some other Auburn athletic teams here this fall. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. for an 
Another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, and T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday afternoon. And we are now excited to go to our orthopedic clinic phone line. And we welcome on the voice of the Auburn Tigers, Andy Bertram. Kind enough to give us some time on his Thursday afternoon. Andy, the time is greatly appreciated. How are you today? I'm doing well, guys. Glad to be with you. Good to be uh, getting ready for a big trip to the Bayou on the weekend. Absolutely, and uh, again, another big environment for this Auburn football team to step into, Andy. And uh, through five weeks of the season, a new new coaching staff, a lot of new things, a lot of fan interest. Just what have you thought about the the first uh, first portion of this season? Well, I, two surprises for me so far is the how well this defense has played this season. And and here's the example that I give when I talk with Coach Freeze doing his pregame show before UMass. I asked him a rather candid question, and I got a very candid answer. And as we've come to know, he is full of candid answers. I said, can this Auburn defense, primarily up front, can it stop a good running team? And he said, I don't know. And I think Auburn has done that primarily through the first five ball games. So that has been the surprise, the pleasant surprise. On the other hand, the fact that Auburn's offense is still – I wouldn't say trying to find an identity. I think it has because I think it's turned into a good running team, which we expected. It's the, the, the passing game just hasn't come along as quickly, I think, as we'd like at this point. And, boy, just Saturday, when you go to Baton Rouge to face an offense that is the best in the Southeastern Conference, averaging almost 550 yards of total offense and nearly 45 points of all game. It will be very tough for Auburn to get into a scoring battle with this LSU team Saturday night. Andy, you've had the privilege to be able to share the the broadcast booth with a couple Auburn quarterbacks over the last few years, Sam White and now Jason Campbell. When you look at the Auburn quarterbacks that are currently on the field with Peyton Thorne and Robbie Ashford, what have you picked up from, uh, especially from this season, from Jason Campbell talking about those two quarterbacks? Well, I mean, you you look at their strengths, and and Thorne is – has has turned into a pretty good running quarterback for Auburn. And I think he possesses the ability to be a good passer for Auburn as well. For whatever reason, that just has not occurred. I don't know if it's, if it's, if it's Peyton, if it's the receivers, or if it's the offensive line. Maybe it's a combination of all three. And then we talk about the athleticism of Robbie Ashford and the potential that he has. And Hugh Freeze has said it. If Robbie can put it all together, he could be the best quarterback that, that Hugh Freeze has ever had. And Hugh Freeze has had some pretty good quarterbacks in his career, especially at Ole Miss and certainly with Malik Willis at Liberty. But as as good of a runner Robbie Ashford is, the passing game just hasn't been there for Robbie in his career for the Tigers. I think Jason likes both of these guys. And listen, Jason and Stan both – were not without their own struggles at Auburn. You know, both were four-year starters for Auburn, although Jason at times was was back and forth as the first string or the second string quarterback. 
And while both had good freshman years, their sophomore and junior years left something to be desired. And then they put it together in outstanding senior years in which Stan White in 1993 and Jason Campbell in 2004 led undefeated seasons on the Plains. And Jason was named the SEC Player of the Year. And both had good NFL careers, Jason, of course, for a decade. So, you know, they've seen the struggles. They've seen guys excel at the quarterback spot. And I think that's what Jason wants, whether it is Peyton Thorne or Robbie Ashford or Holden Gurner at this point uh, of the season. We'll, we'll find out a lot about Peyton, I think, Saturday night. His worst game for the Tigers was three weeks ago at Texas A&M. He, just, he didn't look comfortable in the pocket. He looked tentative in the pocket. And you cannot be that way here in the SEC. I thought he played well against Georgia two weeks ago. And, you know, eight of the six incomplete passes that he threw hit Auburn wide receivers in their hands. They may not have all been perfect passes, but they were certainly catchable passes. And to his credit, he has become a true running threat as an RPO threat in this Auburn offense. So, Andy, you spoke about Hugh Freeze, and I was just curious about what you have seen. We're five games into the Freeze era. What the biggest difference is from this new Hugh Freeze-led regime versus the previous regime at Auburn? Well, I think what it's what we've seen off the field. I think that's the most prominent difference in the last three to four years of Auburn before Hugh Freeze, and that's what he has done on the recruiting trail. One, to put this roster together and go heavily into the transfer portal. And then what he has been able to do, and I can't speak specifics, but we all know what what he's been able to do to put together that 2024 class with four- and five-star recruits, and the same for 2025. I think that's the biggest move forward right now for Auburn. And as a result, I think the Auburn fans have, and the Auburn family has responded. You know, it's, it's, it's a sellout for every game right now, except for, for New Mexico State. And I expect by the time we get there, that game's going to be a sellout. They've sold out season tickets for the first time in school history. And that is a response to what Hugh Freeze has done since the moment he was hired last November after the, the Iron Bowl in, in Tuscaloosa. So that, that to me, and, and listen, if, if we thought that this Auburn team was going to go in and become an instant threat in the SEC West, I I think we were perhaps looking through orange and blue glasses at that point. And Auburn is playing teams right now with superior talent. Now, that is going to change. And I think that's going to change as early as this 2024 class when it signs for the Tigers. And how many of those guys do they get in in or in January and go through spring ball. I think that's very, very important for this Auburn team moving forward. But to me, recruiting and and what he has done and the way the Auburn family has rallied around Hugh Freeze are the two most important parts so far this season. 
Andy, we always like to ask you a question or two about your broadcasting experiences. And I'm curious because in in back-to-back road games for Auburn, they go to Texas A&M and then to LSU here this weekend, both 100,000-seat stadiums. And I I, I know because we, we have been there before that those press boxes are incredibly high up there. Uh, and so I was curious which one is a little higher in the sky and just, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just compare those press boxes and just the, those vantage points to, well, to here at Auburn. I don't think there is a press box with a higher elevation in the SEC than Texas A&M. You know, but it was it four or five years ago, they moved the press box from the west side where TV still is. And they built a brand-new press box literally – on the top of the East Stands. And that's a big stadium. Yes, it is. And and it's gotten bigger. And you're way up there, but I, that doesn't bother me. I, I It's a great vantage point. It's a wonderful press box. I mean, they did a fabulous job putting that press box together. There's ample space for us um, in in College Station. And the brisket's delicious there. So that that's a factor to me. Um, LSU is not, not nearly as high. My most unique vantage point of any game that I have ever done in my college career, because one time I called a high school basketball game in the middle of the opposing pet band, and I'm not <laughs> kidding about that, uh, was the 1999 game. And Stan White and I were doing that game for, I don't know if we were doing it, we were doing it for tape delay. That's right, we were doing it for tape delay. Uh, back in the old tape delay pay-per-view days. And this was this was a year or two before before Stan took over for Charlie Trotman uh, in, the, in the radio booth and then embarked on 22 years of just outstanding work. And we were literally, before they built the upper deck in the south end zone at Tiger Stadium, they put us, they, they did not put us in the regular press box, the week, the, the week or two prior, Alabama had done the same kind of broadcast, and they did the game from outside the stadium. Well, we said, listen, we at least want to be in the stadium to do this game. So they literally put us underneath the scoreboard in the south end zone, and we had to climb a ladder huh. to get up to this platform in the scoreboard, and they ran their cords, the CSS cords from the truck all the way over there, there was a massive hum because it was such a long distance. And Stan did not have a monitor to work with. It didn't work. So any replay that Stan was talking about was literally a replay in his head for that <laughs> 1999 game. This Saturday, I'll be in the regular press box right there on the 30-yard line with a great vantage point, and I'll be happy. But that's the most, other than playing or doing a game from the pet band in a high school basketball game in Southern Illinois, that 1999 get a cigar game is easily the most unique place I've ever done something. And I've done high school football here on top of a concession stand out of Nova High School. 
That's that is absolutely incredible, Andy. I want to I want to get your your uh, your opinions now on the the food scene. As there's there's going to be quite a few people making the trip down to yeah. to Baton Rouge, and we know from our trips uh, in the past down to Baton Rouge and to New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl games that Louisiana is not without its uh, its culinary cool. delights. So where what what are some go to places for the fans making the trip down there this weekend? Well, you know, the, the original walk-ons is within shouting distance of Tiger Stadium. It was formed by literally a pair of walk-ons on Dale Brown's basketball team. That's how that, that restaurant chain started. So it's, it's two blocks south of, of Tiger Stadium. So if you're, you're looking for a sports bar, that's a very good And there are many. I mean, we're talking about the state capital for the state of Louisiana. And, and there is Cajun everywhere. Outstanding oysters. Um, great gumbo. Uh, we have gone to a place called Rue 61 in the past, which is out of ways from downtown Baton Rouge. And when we first started going there, it wasn't called Rue 61, but it was liter- literally a Cajun dance hall place. The middle part of the restaurant was a dance floor, and they would have this Cajun band playing, and then you you, you sat in your, your uh, tables along the side. And it was really good food. Well, when they, they, they took the dance, ball, the dance floor out, redid it. Now it's Rue 61. I believe it's 61. It's Rue 60-something. Uh, but it is a great place for Cajun oysters and etouffee and gumbo and boudin and everything. There are a plethora of those. TJ Ribs is where they host their version of our Tiger Talk. Uh, and they have a Shaquille O'Neal sneaker and Billy Cannon's Heisman trophy in that restaurant. Although the last time we went there for dinner, their credit card machine didn't work and they said we had to pay cash. Well, we didn't have cash, so we had to work something out for that. But there are many great places to go in Baton Rouge. Now, Andy, do you or Brad miss the dance hall more? (laughs) (laughs) That's good. I I never did take part in the dance. I, I loved the atmosphere of it, but I was going for the food. So I don't miss the dance hall at all. You would have to ask Brad that question. I will not answer for young Bradford T. Law. <laughs> Talking to Andy Birch from the Voice of the Auburn Tigers today on Sports Call. One more uh, for you, Andy. Uh, and I know basketball season coming here around the corner in three or four weeks. I'm curious if you've had a chance to catch up with Coach Pearl yet and, and get a feel for what this basketball team could be this year. Was it practice earlier this week? Today is, uh, is pro day for the, t- for the Tigers. And uh, so they're, they're working out for just about every NBA team uh, over at the Neville, Neville Arena today. I was at practice Tuesday. That included a, a – I was fortunate to be invited into their film session from practice the day before, which is fascinating, to watch Bruce Pearl teach basketball to that team. And here's the one thing that I, I came away from after going to practice the last couple of weeks is how incredibly deep this team is. It is 10 deep right now. Now that will in likely, in all likelihood, be whittled down to its rotation. I think this is as deep a team as Auburn's had in my now five years of calling men's basketball at Auburn. I'm not saying it's the most talented team, but I think it's the deepest team. Auburn is deep at all five positions. And I think Auburn will be better at the point guard spot. I think folks are going to love watching Aiden Holloway play 
uh, named today a preseason All-American by 247 Sports. I think folks are going to love watching Trey Donaldson play as well for the Tigers. I think he is going to take a huge role from a leadership standpoint for Trey at the point guard spot uh, for the Tigers. And then Auburn just, I mean, the, the, the transfers that have come in for this Auburn team, I think are, are really going to help this Auburn team. And it gives, it gives Bruce Pearl some, I think it gives Bruce Pearl some options. And it is competition at all five spots for this Auburn team. So I look forward to watching this team for the next three weeks as it gets ready for its exhibition opener against AUM on November 1st. And then we open up the season, of course, against Baylor in Sioux Falls, South Dakota on Tuesday, November 7th. Auburn's non-conference schedule this year, guys, is brutal. I mean, when you go to, when you play Baylor in Sioux Falls, you, you get Notre Dame in the first game of the Brooklyn tournament, and you could, you will either play Oklahoma State or St. Bonaventure on the second night. You get Virginia Tech in the SEC ACC challenge at Neville Arena. You go to Appalachian State, which will be a very tough game. Then you play Indiana in Atlanta. You get UNC Asheville, another NCAA tournament team at an already sold out Von Braun Center in Huntsville. You get USC coming in here with LeBron's son, Bronny playing and they were really good a year ago they're even better this year you get a chattanooga and Penn, two really good mid-majors coming in and then oh by the way you start the southeastern conference that's a great great schedule that bruce pearl has this season we are certainly looking forward to it a lot of quad one opportunities for sure in that non-con schedule he's andy question about it absolutely he's andy bertram voice of the auburn tigers today on sports call andy tell us real quickly about the tiger uh the talking tigers podcast and and how our listeners can go find that you can go to auburntigers.com it's posted about eight o'clock every uh, monday morning uh you can go to everywhere that you you look for your 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 podcasts uh talking tigers podcast with andy bertram and uh, currently, the, the, the current podcast right now features Auburn women's basketball coach uh, Johnny, Johnny Williams a week, or Johnny Harris, excuse me, a week ago it was Bruce Pearl. This coming week is Joe Witt Jr. That's Monday morning, now 17 years as an assistant coach in the NFL. Currently the defensive, um, the, the, the defensive pass game coordinator for the Dallas Cowboys. And then the final two Mondays, and these go out, by the way, um, on Audio Boom, these go out Monday mornings at 7. The final two Mondays of the month of October is a two-parter with Ralph Jordan Jr., the son of the legendary Auburn football coach, Shug Jordan. Uh, and it's just fascinating to listen to the stories of, of the absolute legend here at, at Auburn and growing up in that family and growing up, you know, part of that 57 national championship team and and watching guys like, you know, Terry Henley and Terry Beasley and Pat Sullivan and um, all those guys play for his father. So it, it, was, it was a fascinating history lesson for me to, to talk with, with Ralph Jr. It went on so long that we made it into a two-parter. So that's the schedule for, for the Talking Tigers podcast here for the rest of the month. Absolutely good stuff. We're looking forward to hearing all that. He's Andy Bertram, voice of the Auburn Tigers today on Sports Call. Andy, uh, we really appreciated the time today. We look forward to hearing your call here of Auburn versus LSU, and we look forward to talking to you again down the line. My pleasure, guys. Have a great day. War Eagle. War Eagle. That is Andy Bertram, voice of the Auburn Tigers today 
on Sports Call. Really appreciate Andy uh, for taking some time out of his busy schedule there. Uh, down to just a couple minutes left of the hour, so we'll keep it right here. Uh, if we took a break, we'd only say hi and goodbye and then hi and goodbye again. So, uh, But really good stuff there from Andy. Uh, a lot of stuff to be excited about. I asked him that press box question because, again, I, I kind of threw in there, Brooks, I know that you and I were, were at all those games and you had some trips with the Auburn football team too. But we were at that 2019 is the year we kind of got to go to all these venues. Mm. And I remember them both being incredibly high up there, and I yeah. just didn't remember which one felt a little taller. I think I think I think he said A and M, and I think that's what I remember too. But man, because when you have these hundred thousand seat stadiums, unfortunately the, the press and the media they don't get to be towards the bottom half of that. They're they're usually up there a little bit, and uh, those were those were some high vantage points. You see, the thing is, is the the what I remember from both of those trips is the elevator ride to the top of Texas A and M felt like it took a lot longer <laughs> than uh than the LSU one. But the LSU one seemed like it was further back from the field. Like the A and M one would definitely higher up in the sure. sky, but it felt like you were like more over the sideline. You felt like you were like dangling over a little bit. The LSU one felt like you were pushed back a little bit away from the field, not as high up. Um, but also, uh, you know, not to don't want to throw any you know uh any athletic departments any any uh any communication staffs under the bus the seating at the lsu game for us wasn't the best if you remember we were on kind of like on high chairs in the very back up against the glass wall uh we didn't even get a desk like i was had my laptop on my lap and then when i couldn't stand it being on my lap anymore i'd set it down on the floor and have to get down on the floor to type stuff out it wasn't wasn't the best but I will throw I'll, – I'll chalk it up to that was their national championship year. It was really exciting down there. Uh, that's why it was uh, It was so full. Don't give them that. Just, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't the best. But the food was amazing. Yeah, the food hey, was. Hey, I was at that game too. Oh, was, you were too? I, I Did was. you get a desk? No, I got a, I got right. a, I got angry LSU fans around me. Oh, okay. you were in the oh, crowd. Oh, you were in the okay. stands. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I was in the stands. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was about to be upset if you got a desk and we yeah, didn't. I was about to say, with all due respect, we are going to be a little, little triggered there. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but yeah no that was that's far back there the Florida pro the Florida problem was that you had a little bit of obstructed view yeah like you had to like lean down a certain way to make sure you saw the whole field so so some of that stuff is fascinating to me and I'm glad we got uh, Andy's vantage point there and I certainly would concur that it does sound any of that does sound better than the middle of a high school prep band while trying to do a broadcast. We are out of time for hour number one. Appreciate Andy for stopping by the program. Coming up in hour number two, we'll talk a little Auburn LSU. We'll also get into some NFL picks for the week, give you an update on the standings and an update on uh, where Taylor Swift's going to be. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we know where she's going to be. Uh, an update on some of the top teams in the NFL, some of the struggling teams in the NFL. All that is coming up next. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. 
Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Hour number two of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. Again, appreciate Andy Bertram for stopping by in hour number one. If you missed that or if you ever missed anything on the show, go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. If you ever missed Sports Call Live or if you want to hear something again, make sure you go back and listen to our show on demand wherever you get your podcasts and join Ice Cold Coca-Cola to go along with the hottest sports talk, Coca-Cola Taste the Feeling. To open up hour number two, we're going to go back to the orthopedic clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. First up in hour number two, Ward Damn Steve. Retire Ward Damn Steve is with us. Steve, how are you? Hey, doing great, guys. We're finally drying out. How's your uh, afternoon over there? Doing very well. Listen, I uh, given you know that, unfortunately, you're no longer part of the AU uh, network of stations, that was quite a coup for you to get Mr. Andy Birch and enjoyed his comments and uh, some of his recollections of uh, past uh, games and broadcasts. But uh, you're to be committed. In fact, I'd say you might be in in, in really good shape to be a, a recruiter uh, for, <laughs> uh, uh, for for Hugh Freeze because uh, that, that, that was uh, quite quite a uh, accomplishment there. But uh, that was a really good interview. I enjoyed that. Thank you, uh, sir. Did not know that Stan White did not have a monitor. Uh, to go by and just had to recall from what he saw visually. Uh, yeah, for that one particular uh, the game back in uh, 99. Uh, that, again, that uh, I, I do remember those days a little bit uh, just from the CSS days, and obviously CSS went uh, went defunct a, a, a few years later, at least mid to late 2000s. And, uh, yeah, you had to rough it sometimes, and they, they certainly did in that, that broadcast. And had to do the, the broadcasting underneath the, the scoreboard. Is that right? Yes. Uh, is that what I recall you said? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let's move on, guys. Some time is uh, short for me and for you guys. So uh, I know Tom is not here today, but uh, hopefully he might want to listen to the podcast. Oh, before I do that, um, Jeff, for your information, the Braves game will be on tonight at 8.05 Eastern Time, 7.05 Central Daylight Time. <laughs> yeah, yes, it will be. Yes, it will be. All right. I uh, appreciate uh, your your comments, uh, Jeff. They're always welcome. It keeps you on my toes, man. All right. Moving on, guys. Uh, how about some weird sports? All right. Okay. This one, I never knew it existed, but it's called, the name's called, uh, blah, yeah, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Plogging, P-L-O-G-G-I-N-G. Well, yeah, no, I definitely uh, never heard of that. my attention from the Wall Street Journal. Well, how about this? 
It's been going on since 2010, and this year it uh, take, took place in General Italy on October the 3rd. Uh, here's what plogging is about. It's a sport that combines running with, guess what, trash collecting. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, well, uh, over 70 people competed uh, this year uh, representing, it says here, this is from Wall Street Journal, by the way, if you want to read it, from 16 countries. And they picked this city because General apparently has a problem with trash collecting. And they have apparently one of the worst, uh, I guess, uh, uncollected trash uh, in, the, in the country of Italy. But uh, here's how it works. You have six hours uh, for this contest of, of the race, and the contestants collect points by racking up miles and vertical distances and by carrying as much trash across the finish line as you can. Okay. Now, the trash gets scored based on its weight and the environmental impact. Batteries and electronic equipment earn the most points uh, for the contestants. And I've seen the pictures here, and this is not uh, easy. They're climbing up hills. Uh, it's pretty treacherous. Uh, also, cheating uh, is really hard to do because a mobile app uh, ensures, it says here, that the runners stay within the race's permitted area, which is approximately, say, 12 square miles. And they have to pass through checkpoints, uh, and it says it's very hilly, and they're issued gloves and four plastic bags. That's all they're given to fill with garbage. They're also allowed to carry up to three bulky items, such as tires and TVs. And you, but you oh. have to carry that for the duration of the six hours. No, no, you. I mean, you can carry uh, only three items, but you have to cross the finish line in order to count. Okay, so you got to so, make the finish line for them to count. So, yeah. in, th- in theory, you could like go towards the finish line, get pretty close, then try to get all the trash you're going to collect, and then just only have to make it a little while. Probably, yeah. Okay. So the word plogging comes from Swedish word for pickup and jogging. Okay. Okay. So if you didn't know it then, you, well, know. you know it now. Yeah. And it said two-thirds of contestants were Italian. The rest of the countries represented were from Europe and Japan, Argentina, Uruguay, Mexico, Algeria, Ghana, and Senegal. And, the, and there are women that participated in the same, uh, as young as 30 years old. One guy who won it last year, didn't win this year. He was 70 years old. I'm saying, whoa, 70 years old. Uh, that's, that's quite a feat. Uh, so just to give you real quickly uh, an idea of what are some of the items that they ended up uh, getting, the haul included 6,600 pounds of trash. They included refrigerators, yes, bicycles, tires, baby seats, mattresses, lead pipes, stoves, chairs, TVs, Boom boxes with cassettes still inside them, they said. Motorcycle helmets, traffic cones, air rifles, toilets, and a soccer goal. I, I'm not sure how some of that was carried, but okay. Yeah. Now, uh, General Italy's uh, ambassador for sport quote said this. This I thought was hilarious. This park, he says, hasn't been this clean since the 15th century. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot, a lot of trash removal. Hi. Move on real quickly, guys. Uh, I just saw this from USA Today, and it says, Live Golf loses his bid for world uh, for world rankings due to the format issues. Did you read? Have you seen that? I have seen. I didn't read that particular article, but I'm aware of the of the situation, yes. Yeah, it said according to this article, uh, the reason for the rejection was that 
the uh, OWGR was unable to compare the 48-player, 54-hole shotgun start and no-cut events with the other 24, 24 tours under its world ranking wing. So I just saw that. I know if you guys thought that meant was that important or not to these people that play in the live golf tournament. Will they not be ranked then, I guess? Yeah, I mean, they can't accrue world golf ranking points unless they're in majors, but a lot of the ways that you qualify for majors have to do with the world golf ranking. So it becomes uh, very difficult for those guys. Now, some of them already have exemptions because they've won one of those majors before, that sort of thing, like a Brooks Kepka or Phil Mickelson, but uh, it, it makes it very hard for them to... Uh, be a part of the premier events like those majors. And so uh, I know that was a, a pretty big ruling from the golf world, and obviously the live guys were not happy. Okay. All right. Another weird sport for you there, Tom. Uh, the 50th World Championship Pumpkin Wayoff occurred this past weekend. The contestant was Mr. Travis Ginger, who won of Anoka, Minnesota, and this is a, broke all records, the world's record for the biggest pumpkin. You have a, you try to guess it, how many pounds the Ooh. biggest gourd was? Uh, it's probably about 50 pounds. Oh, no, 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 no. You're not, I mean, you're cold. Higher, higher, higher. 100 pounds? No, no, we're going to thousands. Oh, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. Two, uh, 1,500. Higher. 2,000. <laughs> Close. 2,000, one already seeds, 749 pounds. Yeah, no, yeah, it wouldn't have, obviously did not come anywhere near. Yep. <laughs> and and the, the, the contest uh, concluded in Half Moon Bay, California, uh, and they said they could produce at least 687 pies. Wow. Uh, that's going to be very productive, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't even know how you grow something that large. Yeah, I don't know either. Steroids. Yeah, well, yeah. Steroids, okay. All right, real quickly, guys. If you are the coach for this team come Saturday and you win the coin toss, what do you do? Uh, I still defer. I, I'm, I'm a defer guy. Unless I'm playing a team I feel I'm significantly better in, then I want the ball because I want to score first and give them no hope early. But I think it's more strategic to defer. Okay. Um, the rest of you guys, Brooks, is it uh, Cam? Uh, I, I'm always I'm, – I'm with Ryan. I, I'm a defer guy. I, I like to get the defense on the field first and, and see what you can do. And then, you know, I'm, I'm all – listen, I, I watched Bill Belichick for, for years do this, and I'm always uh, a fan of this. I, I would love to get the ball at the end of the first half, score – very, with very little time left, and then get the ball again to start the second half. That that's all. That's my always philosophy right there. Okay, I, I, uh, the, it's TP, Steve. Uh, TP, okay. I, I, like that. I, I will break the trend. I'm always a receive. I want my offense out there first. I want to set the tone. I want to get that seven to zero lead. And if not, then so be it. You know, my defense is going to go out there. But um, my old coach would always say, if we won the toss. I like to receive. If we didn't win the toss, then we always would kick from the clock. So that's what that's what road uh, that's what road I would go down. Yeah, you know, I typically would have said uh, deferred and go defense. However, I'm uneasy about LSU, especially Jaden Daniels, going uh, on offense first, and they score first, and the crowd uh, becomes even you know more you know obnoxious and uh, loud. 
and and we're behind already seven to nothing. That's the only discomfort I have right now, guys. But you think probably defense is the the better odds? Yeah, I just like the ability to, as Brooks says, I mean, that's the same reasoning. If you can get the same amount of possessions as a team in the first half, then you have a chance to get gain one more by getting the ball first in the second half. So trying to win that, it, it's called the middle eight. It's the last four minutes of the first half, first four minutes of the second half. Um, there's some pretty good numbers on that, and and that's still my preference because by the same to- token, you know, you you the crowd will be pumped up the start of the game. Period. Like like if your first possession is zero zero with 15 minutes left in the first quarter, they're going to be incredibly loud. And if they go down and score and it's seven nothing or three nothing, they're going to be incredibly loud. So your first def- offensive possession on in a road game is going to be loud. Period. No no matter the situation. Okay. All right. Let's go to the. Uh elephant in the room. I uh, I thought the, the Braves last night when they scored one to nothing. I said, okay, um, they, 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 can, they can do this. Boy, was I ever wrong, right? That was that was a bludgeoning. Yes, it was. Ten to two, guys. Uh, did they just give up? I mean, I, I don't think they necessarily pitched their best guys at the end of the game, so in that sense, they certainly weren't burning through their top guys once they got so far behind. But, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, they no, nothing went well for them. They were beat in all areas. And then I read this sports writer, I, I don't have his name in front of me, for USA Today, saying that uh, apparently uh, his observation is that the Phillies are built for playoffs. Now, tell me, give me your thoughts. What does that really mean? I mean, how are they built for playoffs year after year, and yet the Braves are not? You know, I, I don't know if I've really thought too much about that theory. I think that the Phillies are a team that has figured out however re, however they have to play better in the second half of seasons and to progressively improve throughout the year. Uh, I mean, they, they still have a really good lineup. They've got a bunch of veterans, uh, and they, and their pitchers have been at it a while. I mean – it's not like the Braves don't have those things either. And I, I just think that it goes back to when you're talking about these matchups that it benefits the lesser team to have gotten a longer look uh, at the better team because the better team is, is going to rely on talent. They're going to um, be able to do what they do basically in the regular season. But when you're the team that's familiar with them, like the Phillies are, and you're playing from a lesser, um, a lesser pressure standpoint, like a lesser, like your expectations are not as high, but yet you're still confident, and yet you know that team as well as they know you, and you can try to exploit their weaknesses. It just it seems like it has benefited these these second place teams. It did it for the Diamondbacks against the Dodgers. They swept them, uh, you know, and and we saw. You know, we've seen plenty of other these last three postseasons. These number two, like, like I remember last year, San Diego beat the Dodgers, and the year before that, when the Dodgers were the uh, were the second team in the NLS, they beat the one team, the Giants. Like it, I, it just seems like it's been trending that way, where these these second place teams in these divisions, they just they come at it with confidence, but they also feel like they have nothing to lose. Where these other teams are expected to be the teams that move on, it's an extra pressure. Yeah, and I guess, you know, Ryan, please educate me here. I'm not 
just being, you know, asking questions of her uh, for, for no reason or because uh, I know the answer because I don't. What explains that the Braves seem to, I mean, they, they just get, get shut down. Even when they won, they had to come from behind from a deficit of a four to a four to one. You know, uh, it's never easy for them against the Phillies in particular. You know, it's like so for some reason. Um, what is it about the Phillies? They seem to have the Braves number. Again, I, I think that part of that is the confidence because the Phillies have a bunch of vets that are very confident in, in themselves. That, that's embodied by Bryce Harper. That's embodied by uh, guys like Castellanos and Real Muto who have been at this nine or ten years. And, uh, you know, I think that the Braves still have some of that for sure. But also, I think you're going, but you're starting to tread into the water that we've talked about all week where. I think the layoff is very impactful uh, to to baseball teams. I think missing and not playing games for six to seven days is is very much a factor in hitting timing. I mean, I I have not seen the Braves, with all due respect to these Phillies pitchers, because some of them are really good. And again, we we caution about that. But with all due respect to these guys, I've never seen the Braves swing through as many 96, 97 fastballs over the middle of the plate this year than I've had in the last three days. And part of that is the hitting timing and and trying to do too much, getting over-anxious, uh, you know, trying to have the home run swing and, and, and just they're just flat-out missing. So uh, I, I think some of it is the format. I really do. I think the, uh, the stat is if the Braves lose this series in the three years of this format, the higher-seeded team in the DS round would be 4-8. and eight. And three of those four would be the Houston Astros. So somewhat, the Astros have it figured out, but no one else has figured this out. Yeah, I was worried about that. What is it about the Astros? Because I, I, I don't want to see them. They're going to be in the World Series again. I, I feel that way. Um, veteran team that's already, I mean, been there, done that. I don't know. I mean, they. I, I don't see how I don't other than just some randomness of baseball. I don't know all the reasons why they've got it to where they play better. Uh, they did lose a game, but obviously still hit throughout. Some of their players are old, but some of their players are younger. Like Jordan Alvarez is an awesome hitter, uh, but he's only been in the league three or four years, whereas you do have veterans like Altuve and Abreu and that sort of thing and, and Bregman. But uh, some of it's their experience, but also at the same time, you would think that Atlanta would be getting towards that uh, kind of role too where they should be experienced enough to handle this. And the, the amazing thing, uh, Ron, is that they're not getting runs from, you know, hits. It's from home runs. Nine home runs. Is, is that right? Launching. Yeah, they're launching. Yeah. Nine home runs. Yep. Uh, that's incredible. And yet, Acuna, who is the home run leader uh, for the season, has hardly sniffed at any. Yeah, no, no, Matt Olson led the the team in homers. He hit fifty four. But uh, okay, yeah. But again, that and that Steve goes back to, and I can, I can we can only say it so much. It's still three games, and it's a sample size. And if you hit fifty four homers in the year, that means you hit a home run every three games. And so for Acuna, who's hit forty this year, that's you know one every four games or something in there. And um, but tonight's tonight. Maybe I mean maybe, but also I'm just saying like throughout the course of the year you'll have seven eight game stretches where you don't hit a homer like that's that's the reality of this that's that's how sudden the, these playoffs are compared to the the season at large. Yeah. Okay. So, guys, what's your best uh, realistic thought? I know Strider 
is going to be starting tonight. And, and who's the, uh, the their pitcher? Yeah, uh, Ranger Suarez, who started in game one, went about four, four innings. innings. Yeah. Uh, oh boy. Okay. Yeah. No. I mean, the Braves will have to. They'll have to have impactful hits. They had ten hits last night. That's a fair number, but they they need powerful hits. In those hits, they need to take advantage of runners in scoring position. They need to start early for the confidence and for the fun factor too. I mean, they if they they have not been themselves. So uh, it's about swinging momentum. Philly did that in that third inning last night. The Braves need a, a, a two, three, four run inning here in the early innings to try to recapture that momentum. And do you see this being a little, little low scoring game? Because I'm reading some uh, people who are supposedly, um, I guess, odds makers, whatever, and they're saying for the Braves have a chance. Um, they're, uh, I said, mostly, usually the, uh, the games that go to determining who. Uh, who wins the series? Uh, the managers start getting real conservative. They start going to their, uh, I guess, their closers real, uh, real early. Um, do you do you buy that? Yeah, I uh, know that's exactly what happens. I mean, you 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 can't afford to let a pitcher just continually get in trouble and give up runs. I mean, even even as great as Strider is, uh, if he's in trouble in the third or fourth inning and it's a close game, they're they're going well, really in any game because it's an elimination game. Uh, they, they're they're going to warm up the bullpen. They're going to consider removing him. I mean, they, you can't. Um, I still think that they stuck with Elder a little too long. It didn't really matter because the Braves' bats didn't get going. But they will they will they will be as aggressive as they have all year long, and that's how everyone does it in the postseason. So, for the Braves to really win this game tonight, low scoring. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I would think low scoring would be better. But also, you're talking about a, a Braves team that all year long loved high scoring games and so it's it's one baseball game it, it could it could go either way oh god uh, i just i'm getting nauseated thinking that it's going to be the Phillies and the astros very well could be that's that's my fear too we'll see we we got to okay. uh, move on with the I show here go. thank you guys for your time as always enjoy it again uh you're getting Andy Birchmore there with that said uh jeff i hope you listen to the podcast so you don't miss a game so with that have a safe afternoon evening, guys, and uh, see if the Braves can pull it out. Warrior, guys. Warrior, you'll see. Appreciate that phone call. That is Retire Word AM Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We need to hit our first break here in hour number two. When we come back, we'll get into some NFL for you here on this Thursday edition of the show. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. it is to listen to our show all you have to do with your amazon smart device is say alexa play sports call auburn i'm Britt bowen voice of auburn women's basketball and auburn softball you're listening to sports call on tiger 95.9 
Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday afternoon, about halfway through this show today. So let's get to some NFL, shall we? Now, I do want to just random side note as I was looking through, again, the games this week. I, I want to just point out how many games the NFL plays overseas because it feels like now this is every single week where the Ravens and Titans now will play in London this week. And it doesn't involve the Jaguars, which that's good, but I know that there's usually a couple. There's now going to be a Germany game or two each year. I know the Chiefs and Dolphins will have a what's going to be a really big game, and it's overseas on November 5th. Uh, I don't know if I'm a huge fan of that. Just neither here nor there. Not that, uh, not that we can't have a, a event every once in a while. But I think the NFL is clearly wanting to expand and make football a worldwide brand and make their brand worldwide. They can't. They can't be happy with like dominating a third of U.S. households on the weekend. Like they have to go try to take over the world's uh, third of their households. Uh, the it, the NFL will rest when in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium at Wembley they then say football as in American football and not as in Tottenham. That that's when Roger Goodell and the Shield will rest. But you look at this slate this weekend. The game tonight is a lot of a nothing burger between the Chiefs and Broncos. We seem like we're in a good trend of having at least one unwatchable team per Thursday night, and the Broncos are next up. Should I go ahead and look at Week 7 and see who's in watch? Week seven's actually a decent game. It's Jags and Saints. Week 8 is Tampa Bay-Buffalo, so I'm going to – we're still watchable. So, all right, so we're going to get games that actually kind of matter after this week. But Kansas City and Denver, I guess the question here, and I'm not even going to make it Chiefs-related – is with Denver. Do have you kind of thought that Russell Wilson's actually played pretty good this year, and that there's just now a lot of issues with the team beyond quarterback? Because I've actually, I've actually thought he's looked pretty good. It's just their defense is bad, and you know maybe they're not using some of their receivers as well as they could have. But uh, Wilson statistically is pulling his weight. I know there's more that goes into it than stats, but I don't know. He does he seems like he's played better than last year. Yeah, he definitely has. I mean, it if you watch the Broncos, it's not really his fault. It's not like last year where it was just like, "Oh my gosh, he looks terrible." It's like, "Oh, they the, the defense looks bad." You can just tell that there's a lot of dysfunction right now, and that's probably going to be an off-season cleanup of some of those. I don't think Sean Payton's going to get fired. I think it's ridiculous that people are even, you know, hinting at that because he, I know he's on a pretty big deal and he just got there and he's cleaning up a lot of the mess from the previous uh, regime. So I think, yeah, I think Russ has played a lot better though, and that's what you wanted to see was Russ play better under Sean Payton, and Sean Payton's a good is a good head coach. So. Uh, but yeah, there's just a lot more for the Broncos. It really goes to show that that was so much worse than anyone could ever imagine. Just how bad that, uh, how bad they got in a sense where a lot of people were just like, oh, you know, they could be Super Bowl contenders last year. They got Russell Wilson. They were bad. And then this year they're like, oh, they're going to be better because they got Sean Payton and they're still bad. It just goes to show that it's just, 
it's not just a, uh, you know, new coach equals, you know, instant success. It, it really does take a lot out of a, a team and an organization. So it'll be interesting. I don't think the Broncos are going to win this game, but I think it'll be interesting to see how uh, they handle the trade deadline here in a few weeks. Yeah, you know, Sean Payton, I know it's, you know, it, it's year one, you're, you're rebuilding stuff. It was not in a good situation when you left, but it, it's never a good thing when in the offseason you say, hey, this is, you know, you, you come out at a, and say this is a terrible coaching job and, you know, just, be, you know, kind of berate Nathaniel Hackett, no matter what he, it, whether he deserved it or not, um, and then turn around and your defense gives up 31 points to Nathaniel Hackett's offense with Zach Wilson running the thing and running the show uh, for the Jets last week. And so, you know, I, I do think, like like you were saying, Ryan, I, I do think that, that Russell Wilson looks looks better than he did. Uh, you could see where – you could see the, the Sean Payton effect on Russell Wilson trying to get him back to a to a point where he can, you know, uh, be a, another elite uh, NFL quarterback. Um, but like you guys both said, there's other issues there. You got to fix some stuff. Um, and I, I think that you know, I, I think that Sean Payton will get it, get it handled here. But I, I just found it hilarious that over the offseason he called out Nathaniel Hackett and was like, "This is a terrible coaching job." And then Nathaniel Hackett's offense puts up 31 points on his team with Zach Wilson running the show. I, I thought that was a little comical. So I'm I'm working on another theory. The, the other week I, I worked on the Mac Jones is run, the next Ryan Tannehill theory. And maybe he's not even that, so we're we're still assessing all angles of that theory. So here's my here's my theory of the week. The only difference here is that Peyton was in New Orleans longer than this person was at his first stop. So the are we sure he's what he is 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 still a little a little more in Peyton's favor just because how long he's in New Orleans. Is Sean Peyton the Jimbo Fisher of the NFL? Mm. If it goes poorly, and it's got to go poorly again, if he revol- if he revives Denver to any degree, then he'll he'll be fine. But does he become the Jimbo Fisher of the NFL, where wins a title at his first stop, has pretty good success? You know, maybe left a little something to be desired because they never went back to a Super Bowl with him, and so you know. But but overall, everyone's still going to say good tenure, just like Jimbo with Florida State had a bad end there, but went to to playoff or went to a playoff, won a title, had success, just maybe left a little something on the table, and then he's the big commodity. Fisher gets the big payday. He's going to save Texas A&M football. He's not done it. And then for Sean Payton, he steps out of coaching for a year. Everyone wants to know where he's going to go. He's going to save whoever he can get his hands on. And, oh, he's going to go save Russell Wilson. He's going to go save Denver from this horrible contract that Wilson might be in if he ends up falling off where they trade all these picks and that sort of thing. And then what if it's just not good at all and they end up having a three- or four-win team, which they might this year? And then, look, you, you got to give them at least two years, but – you know what? What if he never fixes it? So I'm just going to be wa- monitoring that theory over the next couple of years, and I don't care one way or another if it ends up being right or wrong, and I, I don't really care that much about Denver or Peyton. But but again, I, I'm just I'm just curious. I, I see some parallels there, uh, so I might be working on on cooking that one up. Let's look at some of the slate for the week and some of the storylines. So when we're looking at Again, AFC South is an interesting division. No Anthony Richardson, 
Now you've got a three and two Colts team that did beat Tennessee, ran all over Tennessee, and that didn't even really need Jonathan Taylor to do that. Uh, they're playing Jacksonville, who is notably two and zero in England, one and two in the United States. So that's that's a questionable situation. Uh, do you see it with those two London games? Beating Buffalo, who's really good, and then beating Atlanta, who's at least pretty good. Do you now feel, even despite the record, that Jacksonville is now firmly back in control of this, or do you still see something in particularly Indy, but but any of the teams to still be able to challenge them? I think uh, I think this is the test. I think this will really get to show us. I don't I don't think we truly know until this game at twelve o'clock on uh, Saturday because uh, not Saturday. My bad on Sunday. I'm used to talking about college football, but yeah, I think it was good for them to get, especially that Bills one because that really uh, that was surprising to a lot of people, including myself. But uh, yeah, it, you need this win for divisional uh, purposes. They don't have Anthony Richardson. They have Gardner Minshew under center. There, I know they have Jonathan Taylor, but you should not. With how much expectations are on the Jaguars, uh, they should not lose this game. But the Colts have been better. They've been better than people have expected. They've been better. They've been a lot better than I thought they'd be. I think that's uh, a testament to their new head coach, uh, Shane Steichen. I think they've been a really fun team. But I will lean towards the Jaguars. I think with this victory. We could see the Jags start to really mold into this uh, into a playoff contender for say where they are able to get their feet underneath them because it's a very winnable division. And so even though the Texans are also in that boat of being better than we expected, I still think the Jags are going to win this uh, division. And yeah, I think this will be uh, very important because if they lose it, then it's just like well, uh, you know, the, now what? Because you kind of get you kind of run to a. Uh, Kind of run into a crossroads there, so I'll be interested to see how that goes. I'm still, I'm still on the fence about whoever can win this division, because um, you know you, you look at it right now, the Titans are two and three, the Texans are two and three, and then you got the Colts and the Jags at both three and two. Um, specifically to this weekend's games, you know, Colts are two and zero on the road that so far this year. Uh, you mentioned uh, the two and zero in London. That means they're one and two at home uh, this year. Is, is the Jaguars, and so it's it's an interesting t- it, it's an interesting division. Uh, I, I think really I could see a a scenario here where. Um, the uh, obviously where the Jaguars win win this out, and because I, I just you know Tennessee just doesn't feel like they've got it this year. Um, they're they're getting a little older. Uh, the the Texans the Texans have been a little surprising so far with their their two and three record, but um, it still feels like they're going to go through some growing pains here in the middle of the season with C.J. Stroud and such. Um, and then the Colts, you know, like you said, without in, uh, Anthony Richardson, I, I know you got Minshew Magic, uh, the mustache coming back, but it is is the rest of the the stuff around Minshew going to be able to lift him up uh, and you know help help prop him up? It, it feels I, I could see a scenario here where Anthony Richardson comes back and and you know helps the the Colts get to the. Uh, get back to, or get to the playoffs and win this division. I I could see the Texans uh, getting uh, you know winning a few games here and and challenging for it. I I think I don't I, I would say right now the favorite is the Jags, but I don't feel great about the about them. It's not like as oh Jags boom. It's like the you know in the AFC East 
Well, uh, it's last year in the AFC, let me say that. This year, I, I can definitely see the Dolphins winning that division um, if they could split with the, the Bills. Um, but, like, you know, last couple years, oh, Buffalo's got it. Yeah, you know, Buffalo's got the division, whatever. Um, it, that's that's it, that, I don't feel that way about this division. I feel like the, the Jaguars have a leg up right now because they've got the more <laughs> – uh, they've got the more veteran quarterback that does not uh, it, that that's not named Ryan Tannehill, um, and they are uh, they they seem like they're a little bit healthier right now. But I, I think it, it's it's really slim. I, I just there's there's not a, five games in. There's not a lot of confidence in who I would who I would be put all my money in to to win that division. You you hit on it briefly. I'm going to mention it as well. Uh, you said that you think the Texans will go through those growing pains, and I agree. I think it's going to start on Sunday whenever they play against the Saints because while the Saints don't have the best offense, they have a really good defense, and that's in part to their head coach, Dennis Allen. So I could, I really do think it's going to be a rough day for Stroud, even though I think he's a great quarterback. I've just seen that Saints defense just tear teams up, and that's, that's just because Dennis Allen is a very good defensive-based head coach. Yeah, and Stroud did uh, did officially break the record there for most pass attempts to start a career without an interception. He had one that almost got picked by Atlanta on a diving attempt, but uh, otherwise took care of the ball again. They came up a little short last week in terms of taking field goals uh, instead of being able to convert an extra touchdown or two, and that ultimately cost him in that game. But still certainly impressed with Houston. Again, that's why it's such a weird dynamic because in a way Houston and Indy – had batted above what they were supposed to be. And so it feels like we're a little more positive on them because they seem a little ahead of schedule, whereas Jacksonville, this should be the moment they're stepping into contender territory and they're not, or at least so far. I mean, the Buffalo win is a, is a really good start to do that. Uh, but then Tennessee is trying one last dance of trying to hold together a playoff team with this this style, this quarterback, this running back maybe even this coach, if they go a completely different direction, even though I, I really like Mike Vrabel, uh, but they have underwhelmed to this point in the season for sure. We're going to take one final time out here of the uh, of the show here in this 4 o'clock hour. On the other side of this break, we're going to look at uh, a couple of undefeated teams when we're talking about the Philadelphia Eagles, 5-0 and to start the year. We're also looking at... The San Francisco 49ers, 5-0 and to start the year, will tell you about their possibility to lose the first game. I'm going to have the guys decide who's going to lose first and to whom between the 49ers and the Eagles coming up. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Call is on the air weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you're currently driving in a four-door sedan, roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Follow Sports Call on Twitter at Sports Call AU. Like us on Facebook at Sports Call AU.
Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. Another six or so minutes left in the hour. Teased before the break. So there's two undefeated teams in the league, San Francisco, Philadelphia. Now, those two play December the 3rd, which is roughly, what is that, the 13th game of the year, 12th game of the year? Something in there, so it depends maybe if you're on the buy already or not. But but double-digit games into the season. So I want to ask you fine gentlemen to try to plant your flag and find me the first loss of the season for the 49ers and for the Eagles. One of them will have to lose that game, assuming no tie, which is never my assumption. So find me the first loss for these two teams this year. Eagles, uh this is uh, a little more easier than I thought it was going to be. For the Eagles, okay. my first loss is in two weeks. Okay. That Dolphins game. Uh, I think that that Miami Dolphins game, I, even though it's at home, it's a seven, you know, it's a Sunday night game. Uh, I think the, you know, that Dolphins offense can come in and get get a get a big win there. I think that was probably the first loss that I look at on that on that Eagles schedule. Uh, 49ers, uh, this one could get this one's a little bit tougher. Um you see, the, the team that I think has the best chance to do it is the the is the the, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Looking at the the schedule, uh, <laughs> that makes Ryan very happy. But you know, Cleveland, I just I don't know. I, I think that this 49ers defense can shut them down. Minnesota has not looked good. Cincinnati hasn't looked good so far. Again, Jack goes back to Jackson. I don't trust. I I don't know about Seattle fully yet. Uh, I think that the best chance before that Eagles game is probably the Buccaneers. The only thing that that uh, that gives me pause about it and is that it's a it's a road game. You're not on. You don't have to go all the way to the west Co- or the east coast if you're San Francisco. Um, so I think the best chance for them would be that Tampa Bay game. But I, I think if if you're telling me to plant the flag, I think that first loss could be that Eagles game. If if you're realistically look, if I'm if I'm looking at it, planting a flag there, I, I would say that Eagles game. I completely agree with you about the uh, Eagles-Dolphins. I was totally leaning that direction until uh, you took it from me. And so, <laughs> you can go with the same thing. I, I, I'm going with the Dolphins, but if it's not the Dolphins because I know that their defense is a little shaky, I'm going with at the Chiefs. I will go with being in Arrowhead uh, on the night game. So uh, I think that will be one of those two, but I'm leaning towards uh, the Chiefs game. And for the 49ers – I uh, respectfully disagree with everything you said about the Buccaneers being the one to uh, knock off the 49ers. I think it will actually be that following game whenever they go to Seattle to play the Seahawks because that is a night game. It's going to be really cold. It's going to be in late November. It's right before that Eagles game, and they're coming off. They uh, It looks like that game's going to be on a Thursday night, so that's going to be short day, short day rest, and you're getting ready to play the Eagles. So I could definitely see them looking ahead and uh, seeing the, 40, uh, the 49ers drop that game. But honestly, though, I think the 49ers have just looked so good. It's really hard to pinpoint one, but I'm going with the uh, the Seattle Seahawks to knock them off in, uh, on November 23rd. You know, Philadelphia really does have a robust schedule. I mean, there's actually a lot of games you can see, and, and maybe to some degree that's just also because they've looked less impressive than San Francisco. I mean, Philadelphia, their largest margin of victory is to, is against Tampa so far, 25-11. to 11. Uh, They still didn't I – mean, yardage-wise, they were uh, awesome in that game, but still Tampa was not uh, uh, that far off of that game. You know, for Philly, you could look at that Miami game in two weeks – 
Uh, you can look at, at Kansas City. They host Buffalo, then host San Francisco at Dallas, at Seattle. I mean, they get a, they get a break at the end because they have two of the last three against the Giants, and then the other one's the Cardinals. So their last th- three, Philly can coast in, but at what cost? I mean, they might still have to play those games out depending on seeding and that sort of thing, and that Philly-San Francisco game is going to be really big. I will take Philly to lose – at that Kansas City game more than I will against the Dolphins. Although, I, look, I, I certainly can see it. It's just a matter of home versus away for me. But Miami's offense will travel. I mean, I, I know that Buffalo beat them pretty good. Miami still accrued the yards. They still had opportunities. They just got kind of got forced late in the game to do things they normally wouldn't do. So I can certainly see Miami in that one. But I still think at Kansas City – on Monday night, football feels like a, a great environment. Uh, it feels like a great opportunity for uh, for Kansas City to get a big win because Kansas City has been four and one, but they're not exactly beating the brakes off of teams either. So, and and to be fair, look, you can't expect that a lot in the National Football League. The great teams still don't beat everybody by thirty points. So, uh, not saying that, but just you see a few moments that Kansas City looks a little shakier. For San Francisco, it's much leaner, and, and some of that is due to I see a game like Cincinnati. Cincinnati, in the in the beginning of the year, that would have been a huge game, and maybe since he gets on a little roll here and at least is 500 or better coming to that game, but clearly it's not the Cincinnati, the, the best version of Cincinnati we've seen the last few years. Minnesota's another team. I mean, I don't think many people, you could say Detroit won the division fine. I still don't think Minnesota expected to be 1-4 through five games and that would have been a road game for san francisco but with jefferson out minnesota looks destined for a really rough year uh so i do think it is in the month of november i will lean towards that seattle game however the real answer for me is they don't lose until the philadelphia game uh i think that if you're looking for pre-philly seattle makes more sense for me than tampa uh, we'll see if Tampa plays well against detroit and we'll talk a little bit about that game in hour number three but i think that Either that road game because it's a short week because it's uh, the week before Philly or that Philly game. But I'm ultimately even going to go to the Philly game because I think that San Francisco is a good class above all these teams. Seattle's a tough environment too. So I absolutely think it'll be one of those two teams. And no, I do not think they'll go undefeated because that just does not seem to happen in the National Football League. But really that those, those two weeks there, the short week at Seattle or the uh, actual Eagles game, uh, will be the first loss for San Francisco. Again, Eagles and 49ers, the last two remaining undefeated teams. We are out of time for hour number two. Coming up in hour number three is Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. That will have to do with the National Football League. And then a little bit later, we'll have some more Auburn and LSU thoughts before we wrap up the show today. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. 
Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, T.P. Hammock, Brooks Childress with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. And if you missed anything, go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola. We had Andy Burcham on in the first hour of the show, The Voice of the Auburn Tigers. Of course, we post all of our podcasts and all of our interviews on our feed so that you can go back and listen to anything and everything. We start with the 5 o'clock hour today with the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. John Harden and Brian Watts are your local land advisors with Southeastern Land Group. Land is always a sound financial investment, but it's also an investment in time with your family and friends, and Brian and John can help you find the perfect property for you. If you're looking to sell your land and get maximum exposure to potential buyers, your friends at Southeastern Land Group can also help you with that too. Call John Harden at 334-524-2756 or call Brian Watts at 334-707-4273 or find them online at sclandgroup.com. Today for the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. We'll keep it in the NFL, and we'll go with the five, technically six teams that have one loss or fewer on the season. We start off with number one. One of the two teams that we were talking about before the break, we were talking about the San Francisco 49ers and how they have uh, really run uh, run through the season so far this year. Uh, really ran through Dallas the other night. Purdy looked really good. E- everything about San Francisco is looking really good. They are off to a 5-0 and start. Number two is the other undefeated team, the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles may be a little bit more of a known commodity, but, uh, I mean, really both are, but the Eagles off of the NFC Championship win against the 49ers last year. Uh, still looking pretty good this year, 5-0, and hard to complain about that. Maybe looking a little less uh, pristine at times, but still very much a dominant force up front and 5-0 and on the young season. Number three. Two teams in the AFC with one loss. We'll start off with the Miami Dolphins, who currently lead the AFC East. They did lose to Buffalo a couple weeks ago, but except for that game, they have been absolutely scoring the football at will and four in five games 181 points so far which is not something that you see a whole lot in the nfl and that 181 points obviously uh, does lead the league in scoring by a couple touchdowns over san francisco so far so miami's offense has been awesome they did suffer a loss this past weekend with devin achain who uh, is going on injured reserve and had a, a really good start to his rookie year he's been running all over the place alongside Raheem Mostert, and so uh, I think that Devin Achain uh, certainly will be uh, missed by Miami, but still off to a 4-1 and one start so far this year. Number four. That other AFC team is the Kansas City Chiefs. The Chiefs so far on the season 
maybe lacking some star power in that wide receiver room, but Patrick Mahomes still making plenty of plays. Like that Chris Jones is back. Kansas City has uh, stepped up the game a little bit defensively, and the Chiefs continue to be all reliable there uh, in the AFC there at 4-1. and one. Number five. Last up in the Sports Call 5 at 5, presented by Southeastern Land Group. Two more one-loss teams, this time in the NFC, and they are hooking up this weekend in Tampa. The 4-1 and one Detroit Lions and the 3-1 and one fresh off the bye Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The Lions uh, started to become a trendy favorite for the NFC North. I should have listened to that in the preseason as the Lions have been playing awesome football. Uh, we'll get more into them in just a second, as well as the Buccaneers, who are a surprise to be 3-1, and one, a little bit younger on their season since they were one of the first four teams with a bye last week. But the Bucs coming off uh, a 3-1 starting at Port and win in New Orleans prior to the bye. We'll see how that pretends to the NFC South a little bit later on, but also starting the year on the road with a nice win in Minnesota. Their one loss is to one of the two undefeated teams, the Philadelphia Eagles in Tampa. So Bucks and Lions this weekend, that's the only matchup of two one-loss teams or better guys. What do you see in this one? I think uh, I think Detroit's just looked really good. It's nothing against uh, the Bucks. I just think that the Lions have uh, have been the part. Uh, they came in with a lot of expectations, and we've seen the Lions come in with expectations and do absolutely nothing with it. But they've um, they've done really well this year. They've looked impressive. They only lost to Seattle, who's not a bad loss. And um, I think it'll be a I think it'll be a fun game. I'll be interested to see how Jared Goff does because I know there's some sort of stat that I saw recently, like uh, on the road he's not as efficient as he is at Ford Field, which is, you know, not the most uh, far-fetched thing you'll hear because, you know, Ford Field is a dome. So, but, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how the Buccaneers' defense can try to rattle Goff because he really is the backbone of that, even though he may get, like, zero credit for that. He does run that offense, and he runs it really well, and they have they have really good running backs. They have uh, – very good receivers and Amara St. Brown and their defense has been fine. So I think, um, I think the Lions are going to win it. I think it'll be a pretty interesting game. And I think this will show us if the Lions are really content. I'm not saying the Buccaneers are contenders, but I think this will go a long way in showing if they are uh, really contenders or are they pretenders. So um, Brooks, how do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it, this game is very interesting because it's a, a Lions team, like you mentioned, Ryan, that it is a um, a team that it was a, a, a sexy pick in the preseason to win the North. Um, and they've, uh, be, because of, you know, you, you've looked at the rest of the division, it's not great. And so they, they've set themselves up, up uh, at the very front and they, they look really good in their wins. Um, the Buccaneers are a team that's, come out of the gates a little surprising uh i, I know that you know ryan you talked you know you're the buccaneers fan you talked in the offseason you didn't have a highest of hopes for the season but um you know they've come out the gates they've looked good baker mayfield's looked fairly good uh as, as a starting quarterback for tampa bay in the post brady era um by the way uh, i'd never welcomed you officially into your post brady era where there's only two teams that can say they're in a post brady era and um mine was a lot more depressing than yours i, I think yours a lot longer lasting in both both current and 
Former events, yeah. Uh, but uh, it, it's TP. To your point, I think a big factor this weekend is going to be this Bucks defense uh, getting uh, getting in there and disrupting Jared Goff. Uh, he, he's looked fine. Twelve hundred or over twelve hundred yards passing so far this year. Nine touchdowns. He's thrown three picks. Uh, can they? Can this Bucks defense get in there? Uh, cause some disruption. Get in those passing lanes. Create some turnovers uh, against Goff. And then on the other side of things, on the on the Bucks offensive side of things, I, I think that this game, would, uh, if uh, Baker Mayfield can hook up with Mike Evans a couple times, I, I think that that would be uh, that'd be really really beneficial for for their winning chances on on Sunday afternoon. But uh, this game, I could see going either way. Um, I want to give a slight edge to Tampa because it's at home. But uh, I think that this this Lions team is 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 a team that you're going to see at the end of the year. Um, I think well, they're I think they're going to win the division at this point. This is one of those uh, we talked about it with the AFC South, where I'm not confident in anybody winning that division. This one, I, I'm a little more confident, saying I think the the Lions are the team that's going to win this division. Um, and I think that they can win a playoff game too. You know, I think that when you look at it, I, I will go ahead and tell you, Brooks, that, that Mike Evans is still very questionable to play this week coming off the hamstring injury. He's still limited in practice. Tomorrow will be a big day for that. Uh, with Detroit, you know, I, I don't worry too much about being on the road. The Bucks will have the cream sickles on. That'll be really cool uh, for Bucks fans, and I know a lot of people are really excited about that. That might help the atmosphere a little bit. But this team already went into Kansas City on opening night and won. So with all due respect to Tampa's home crowd, of which I am one of them, uh, it is not going to be any more intimidating than, than Kansas City's environment, certainly. I, I think the key here is Jared Goff and his career against Tampa slings it and slings it and slings it and slings it. And it is some of the – the numbers are wild. He's had two games against Tampa. I've got them both in front of me. One's a win, one's a loss, obviously both with the Rams. 2019, you might recall the drunk game where Ryan Fitzpatrick played for Tampa and they beat the Rams like 50-40. to Goff in that game was 45-68 of for 517 yards, two touchdowns, and three picks. That was in 19. In 20, in Brady's first year, the Rams went into Tampa on Monday night and won. Goff was 39 of 51, 376, three touchdowns, two picks. So he's thrown five TDs, five picks, and thrown over 110 passes in two games. Just two games. So they're going to be throwing a lot. I think the key with Detroit is you watch them. They play action pass a lot. That's something Goff did well in L.A. That's something McVay coached well. That's something that Detroit's coaching well. It's something that Goff continues to be really good, and they're one of the best teams in the league at play action passing. So, Bucks have pretty good linebackers, Devin White, Levante David. How do they deal with the eye candy of play action? How do they deal with when Devin White blitzes, does he get there? Uh, he had a little bit of a groin problem before the bye. I think he's healthier now. Uh, he is most adept at side-to-side -side and stuff near the line of scrimmage. He's not nearly as good in coverage. So, will we see the Bucks bring five? a lot in that game that will be important to see if Jared Goff has the time because why the Bucks could not generate the stops they need against Philly is because Philly's offensive line manhandled them I think the Bucks are an above average front but they got nothing on Jalen Hurts they could not get any pressure at all and we saw earlier this year against New Orleans a little bit against Chicago they got in the backfield a lot in those games and they didn't get in at all when they lost to Philly so 
rushing the passer would be very important on those long developing play action passes and Tampa's got the ability to do it but also they're not perfect at it so Detroit does have the ability to stop it and on the other side of the ball you know if Evans is out obviously that's a key cog in the machine because Chris Godwin's really good I like what I've seen early returns on Trey Palmer the rookie out of Nebraska but still it's Mike Evans it's future Hall of Famer uh, a guy that sets the record for consecutive thousand yard seasons to start a career he's awesome and he's still awesome at age 30 31 and so not having him takes away a deep threat i think what baker has done really well in this offense is look it's not about the total yards per completion because it's not staggeringly good but what it is is they'll tampa has done a lot with their play action which has been successful They've given him deep options. They've given him short options. And Baker's been very intelligent when to take which. More often than not, it's the short stuff. That's the stuff defenses will give you more willingly. And he's done a good job of relying on that. And and that's why he's not made many mistakes. The Bucs have only turned the ball over a couple of times in four games. Uh, so with Mike Evans out, though, if he does not play, Detroit all of a sudden doesn't have to worry about the deep stuff as much. And maybe they'll cave more on the inside and the lower stuff, make it real hard on Tampa to make yards ahead of the first down marker. So if Evans is out, I would watch out for uh, Detroit being more aggressive in the first five or so yards around the line of scrimmage. I ultimately think Detroit wins, but it is an interesting opportunity for Tampa. Big next two weeks for the Bucks. They host the Falcons next weekend at Raymond James Stadium. Reports of my parentals being there too. We'll see if mm. confirm or deny. Uh, but uh, you know th- that one will be a big one for the division. You're right. I don't think Tampa has the, the has the teeth to be anywhere near Philly or San Francisco. But look. Still want to win the division, still want to make the playoffs, still want to get in the party, see if one of them will knock each other out. And uh, and certainly Tampa, off to a pretty good start now, has the aspirations to, you know what, even without Tom Brady, you still are allowed to make the playoffs. I know that may shock Tampa people because they've not been in the playoffs in over a decade prior to Brady. Maybe they mess around and are able to make it in their very first year without Tom Brady. Any other uh, items, NFL guys, you guys want to hit on before we take our next break? We move to college, move to a little Auburn LSU. Any other storylines, anything else that you're interested in in the National Football League here this week? I think a really good matchup that I should have hit on on the before the break was um, the 49ers going to the Browns after that big 42-10 victory over Dallas. Could we see the 49ers – have a little bit of a step back because the Browns have a really good defense. They have a stellar defense, in fact. So will we see that step back? I believe Watson's out with an injury, though. Is he still out? Uh, I know he missed the prior game. Yeah, I know that. If he's out, they that's not – I'm going to yeah, lose interest uh, very quick, to be uh, honest with they, you. He is not practicing. Signs point to him sitting out of yeah, that game. So, yeah. so okay. that game is no longer as interesting, but it could be like a three. I don't know. You just want to see San Francisco against that defense. Yes, yeah. that, that is what I want to see. I want to see that really – hard-hitting offense versus a really stout defense and i think that'll be uh i think they'll be really interesting if they if they would have had deshaun watson i think that would be a lot closer but i do think it'll be eventually where it'll probably be like uh i could see it be like you know like 21 to 3 24 to 3 or something like that because at the end of the day though your defense can only stay out there for so long and uh that offense is an embarrassment of riches so that's the game that um i'm interested to watch just for that matchup 
I'm interested in that Monday night game, the the Cowboys and the Chargers, uh, because I want to see how the Cowboys bounce back after being completely embarrassed on the road at, at San Francisco. Again, another West Coast game. Austin Eckler is going to be back uh, for the Chargers. He he said uh, earlier this week on a podcast or something. He's like, I'm I'd say I'm 99% going to be back. Uh, fun fact: He's on my fantasy team, and I got an alert that he is active. Uh, they have officially designated him as active for this week, so he's going to be back for the Chargers. Uh, and so I want to see how they can uh, if the, the Cowboys can respond from their uh, their little embarrassment this past weekend because you know it was you, you looked down they came out the gates pretty hot and then this past weekend you go into that San Francisco game and uh, you know you, you look at that game big time matchup Sunday night football and you weren't really in it that much uh, San Francisco laid the law down really quickly and so if if they can respond and then the other uh, primetime game I want to talk uh, in, in, uh, hit on for a brief moment because that's all it needs is how do you think Sunday night football feels putting that that Giants uh, Bills game on Sunday night and now it's just like the Giants are are awful it, it's just it it's bad I'm so sick of watching the New York Giants on primetime TV <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm glad that I'll be in traffic leaving uh, a real game uh, the the <laughs> I, I just they 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 yeah I, and and I understand like I, I'm not someone that pretends to not i mean it's new york and the giants were a playoff team last year and this has happened with the jets where they were going you know supposed to be a playoff team this year with rogers at least maybe a super bowl contender i get it but just the fact that you schedule things out for the whole year and you can't get out of them you know it's just it's just tough um that's the biggest spread yeah. of the weekend by the way oh is it yeah the 14 and a half Yuck. Yeah, and the and again the Panthers are playing the Dolphins, and this is a bigger spread than that. Yeah, really? Yeah, thirteen and a half is the Panthers and uh, the Dolphins right now. Good a lord, whole point, a whole point more is the uh, the the Bills. That should favorite. be a wake up call. Of the Giants. Like, yeah, you, the Panthers are supposed to do better against the Dolphins than you are. That, that yeah, and the uh. Chiefs are only favored by ten and a half against the Broncos tonight. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. I would say you want me to keep going. Jeez, the, the the game I was just going to mention real briefly was the Bengals Seahawks. I think this is a very relevant game for both teams. I think if Seattle can go to Cincy, get start four and one, I feel really good about the Seahawks making the playoffs. And look, that should be I think a win for them because just overall, you're playing the Forty ers division. The Forty ers look awesome. They've looked awesome for a couple years, more than a couple years, honestly. So to be through five games, yet feel really secure about your situation. Like yeah, you're probably not winning the division, but at four and one, like you're also probably not going to end up seven and ten or eight and nine, and and not make the wild card at least. So, you know, I, I think Seattle has a great opportunity to get well in front of what they're ultimately going to be needing to do, which is win a wild card spot. And then for Cincy, look, they they look good last week throwing the football finally, but it's against Arizona. So what kind of weight does that actually pull? Something's better than nothing, and believe me, before that it had been nothing, but. You know, I still want to see them beat a quality team, and win or lose, I still find Seattle will at least be a quality team. So it's an opportunity for Cincinnati to get back to 500. That division does not – the best version of all those teams has not been found yet. Baltimore did not look good at Pittsburgh. I get Baltimore – or Pittsburgh's defense is awesome. Baltimore should have won that game. Lamar Jackson needed to make a play at some point. He didn't. And let Kenny Pickett and Pittsburgh hang around. And then Pittsburgh wins that game, so they're three and two. Ravens three and two. Browns off the buy are two and two, but looking like Deshaun's going to be out for some more time. Nothing about that division is getting the best out of any of those teams right now. So Cincinnati, 
for as horrible as they've started and as controversial as the calf and all that's been, that's a big opportunity for them to get back to 500 and still try to figure out things in that AFC North division. We're going to take our next time out of the show. When we come back, we'll talk a little Auburn LSU, get TP and Brooks's thoughts about uh, the Tigers and the Tigers from Death Valley on Saturday night. You're listening to the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Call into the show. Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player, national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, T.P. Hammock with you here on this Thursday edition of the program. And we turn our attention for a little while. Tomorrow, obviously, we'll have a very in-depth preview and talk a lot about it and talk about the other college games going on. It's another quality weekend of college football, a few top 25 matchups, some good stuff going on in the SEC as well. Uh, But Auburn LSU, T.P., obviously, this is your one and only appearance each and every week on the show. So I'm going to let you have the floor for a couple minutes. I mean, what do you think about this matchup? What what are some of the things that you're keeping an eye on? I, I think uh, the biggest question is how will Auburn's defense hold up against uh, LSU's offense because they have been no short of just impressive. Even though they have two losses, they can put up a they can put up a lot of points in a hurry. So I'm really interested to see how that matchup plays out, and then vice versa, how the Auburn offense does against a very poor LSU defense. And I think. I think Tom hit on it a couple of days ago where he was like, if you cannot throw the ball or get – if you cannot put points up against this LSU defense, then there's something really wrong because this is a very bad defense. But the problem is this is a very bad passing attack by Auburn. As we were looking at it yesterday, they're down in the 120s area. So it's not been a, a pretty season for uh, the passing offense of Auburn. So I think that'll be – a really important factor. I just think that it's just that it's in Baton Rouge, which never helps because that is a, that's a home field advantage unlike many. So that doesn't help. And then uh, I think they'll have to lean more on the run. I, if they can run the ball in LSU, they'll be really – I think that could be effective, maybe maybe get the passing and rhythm. But I think it'll have to come off the run. But I just uh, – it's just a really – it's a really tough game to call. But um, – I do. I'm definitely leaning towards LSU. I think. Uh, I think that offense just being so explosive will eventually tire out the Auburn defense. And uh, there's a reason why Auburn hasn't won in Baton. They they won in Baton Rouge in 2021, but before that, it had been over 20 years. So it, there's a reason behind that. I think. Um, I think LSU is going to come out of. Uh, Baton or I think LSU is going to leave the stadium with the victory. You get the feeling listening to Hugh Freeze earlier in the week. He was referencing, and we played the audio on the show on Monday. He was referencing in the press conference the fact that Ole Miss and Missouri tried to outscore 
LSU. They felt like they had offenses that could do it. Ole Miss certainly did. Missouri came pretty close to doing that. But he kind of referenced that as a point to say, we not, we're not necessarily built the same way. We're not exactly the same type of team. So when you read into that, I would not think Auburn gets too inventive, too crazy uh, with early down passing. Now, you can always argue that a struggling attack, you try a first and 10 play action pass, that might be the best shot at it because they're going to sell, sell out on the run, that your tendencies, your strengths, and you might be able to take advantage of that. But I think that Auburn's going to want to work the clock a little bit. One thing I didn't love post-Georgia is people kind of insinuating that the defense was tired because of offensive struggles or that sort of thing. Again, the time of possession was dead even in that game. It was 30 minutes and nine seconds for Auburn to 29-51 for Georgia. And so if Auburn's defense, it got if it got tired at the end, it was just because it couldn't get off the field in that last couple of possessions of its own doing. Nothing really of, its, uh, of the offense's doing. Uh, and, and so – that part of it is to me where certainly if it gets more skewed than 30-30 and it gets more towards 35-25 LSU, that would become a big problem. And that would be a big problem on longer drives that you're trying to, at the end of the drive, be at your best because you're trying to limit to a field goal. Because I think that's what this is. Like I think Auburn's defense is pretty good, but LSU's offense is better than Auburn's defense is good. And so you can make a good assignment plays, but Jaden Daniels is going to be able to make more creative, spontaneous, or, or more creative and, and fluid escapes and, and plays with both arm and leg. And, and so I, I think that for Auburn's offense, it, I think this is a loss for them, but I think that really what it's about is how competent can you look for how long can you look? Because I would still find it hard to believe, uh, even with LSU having a little bit of a disappointing year, I'd find it hard to believe that Auburn's going to be able to go in there and win, after not winning for almost two decades, win two games in a row in Death Valley. Again, that's hard for me to to process, although I certainly would love for it to happen. But I think this is about a, this is an optics game. This is setting you up for the second half of the year. And if your offense does actually take advantage of – a pretty bad defense in a close loss, you can start to feel the optimism that, yeah, when you go back to Jordan Hare stadium, you're going to be able to put points on the board. You're going to be able to go somewhere like Arkansas and win that game. You're not going to worry about the Mississippi state game. And then you will have a hell of a fight in store for Alabama at the end of the year. But if you go out there and lose this game, 48, to 20, or even you hold LSU something like 38, but you only score 14 or 17, then I start to feel that there's no path for Auburn being even acceptable in offense this year. And I still feel right now that there is that path because I think that they really can run the ball. I think the O-line's pretty good at it. I think they've still got an array of backs, even with Demari Austin still out, that can do it. And I think that Peyton Thorne can do it in a spot or two. And I certainly think Robbie Asher can do it. So I think you've got a a lot of different ways still to be able to run the ball. And I think they will test all those ways against LSU. Uh, It's just, again, to 
go from a point of not being able to even do it for much of a half against a power five opponent to then do it four quarters on the road, regardless of how bad the defense is, uh, that, that, that's where I just have a difficult, difficult time. Uh, Brooks, my question, I guess, would be to you, am I overlooking maybe Auburn's defense at all? Is there a path for Auburn to keep this much lower scoring uh, akin to the Georgia game where it's 20 to 20 midway through the fourth after a, a game tying field goal. Can can they keep it in the low twenties? Well, you know, you look at both of these teams to, uh, to start the year, um, you know, Auburn has given up uh, points wise. We'll just run through it. 14, 10, 13, 27, 27 LSU in their last five games, has scored 72, 41, 34, 49, 49. So, you know, it, LSU or Auburn has not given up more than 27 points in a game uh, this year, but they haven't really been playing offenses that have been this dynamic and this capable of scoring. I mean, UMass is, is not a team that you're, you know, you look at, you're like, oh, they put up a lot of points. Uh, Samford, you know, an FCS team, that's what you should be doing to to an FCS team is 13 points. Cal's not a team that's going out there and racking up the the offensive scoring. Uh, and then Texas A&M and Georgia are two teams that, you know, they're, they're you know, Georgia's not a, a that I mean, this past weekend was different, but, uh, you know, coming into this, the Georgia game, their offense had been sluggish and it had, had been inept for a while, Texas A&M, and especially in that game, you go down to a backup quarterback. It's No, no offense has, has been this dynamic that you're about to face this weekend. So I don't know if, uh, if you can uh, you know, keep them from scoring. Uh, it's, and, it, 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 you know, we talked about Hugh Freeze talking about you can't, you know, the, you can't outscore them. Ole Miss was able to outscore them. Missouri was not able to outscore them. I I think Auburn's best bet is to try to keep them from scoring. I just don't know how well you can do that. So um, you're saying they need to get a low scoring ball possession route. I I, th- I think what you're, you're gonna you need to hold the ball. You need to you know do whatever you can to limit Jaden Daniels being on the field and limit that offense being on the field. Um, you you know you you look at it. They the we talked about it all week. Uh, LSU is averaging, you know, three thirty-seven passing on the year. Auburn is allowing, uh, on average, one hundred ninety-two or one hundred ninety-four passing yards on the year. And so it's Auburn is they they need to like like you said they need to keep the ball. You need to hold. You need to run. You know, run the ball. Take some shots when you when you can, but. You you need to limit those those possessions because I when they're on the field I just don't know how you keep that offense from scoring. Really important to have Jalen Simpson available in this game. You've lost someone at every level of the defense. I mean, with Messiah Nasilikiete now out for the year, you already had Austin Keys out from the word go, and you've had Keontae Scott out for a couple weeks now. You've got someone at every level of that defense affecting you. And, and that's another part of it for me, too, is that you're already asking a, a group of guys that was fairly thin. I don't know if Auburn I, – I can't remember the number now. We, we talked about it a little bit in fall camp. Ron Roberts was talking about a certain number 
he wanted to get to of guys he felt were playable. I can't remember if it was 25, 24. 21 or 24, somewhere around that area. And to be fair, I don't think they really ever got there. They might play that many, but they may not feel good about that, to be truthful, with the last couple of guys down the line. You've already lost three, and I think Simpson will go, but if if he's not playing, that's four. You're already starting to eat into that with some of your best guys, and you know I th- again that that's just such a challenge, especially when again I still form the opinion that a great offense can score on a great defense. I just don't see the reason that they all of a sudden would would be able to stymie LSU. The, the, I think the I, I know this is not really deep analysis. This is just like an intangible thing. I think their best bet is LSU just to get frustrated and just do stupid things. Like, just just start to get bicker at one another. Malik neighbors are like, hey, why haven't I gotten the ball in two possessions? Or, you know, the the defense continually be giving up points, the offense feeling pressure from the defense. Like, when you are a team that's underachieving, weird things start to happen, and then it feels like everything becomes a problem. And everything becomes more difficult. And I almost think that 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 kind of uh, you know, unstatistical, just kind of the feel of the game would have to exist. Now, I think Auburn can achieve that if they start strong, if they do go down the field, because they'll to be like, man, we can't even stop Auburn the way they were scoring. Or you know, Auburn does hold to a couple of field goals, gives them gives the offense confidence that yeah, you don't have to score every single time a touchdown, but obviously you'll have to score at some point then that changes the dynamic a little bit. But I, I I just think that when you're looking at LSU as a team, they've just when even if they do these stupid things, and they, again, they were trying to do stupid things against Arkansas, they just get to fall back on the laurels of, of, of what Tiger Stadium is. And that's why it makes it hard for me. If this was at home, I'm telling you right now, I'd be incredibly tempted to pick the upset. Incredibly tempted. But Auburn is still a 10 or 11 point fa- 11 point favorite or excuse me 11 point underdog in this game and they've been underdogs three straight weeks now and so that that's not some accidental thing here they're playing good teams uh, they're they're behind the eight ball a little bit as a team we knew they would be and even with LSU struggling I'm just not ready to go all the way there to Auburn pulls out a shocker on the road ultimately tp last question for you before we take our last break uh of the show what will this game ultimately boil down to and and what kind of a game do you do you think we'll ultimately see something higher scoring or do you think we'll see a a pretty decisive victory pretty low scoring and what will be the feel of the game i think the deciding factor is easily if Auburn's defense can uh, shut down Jaden Daniels. Problem is, that's one you could argue that's the best quarterback in the SEC. So I think it will be, as much as it pains me to say this, I think it will be more decisive towards LSU at the end of the day. I think it's just more of a stylistic problem. And, you know, I said that with Georgia. I was completely wrong. But that was in Jordan-Hare, and that was incredible. I never would have called that in a million years. The problem is this is enemy territory, uh, LSU has their groove on offense. Auburn does not have their groove on offense. I think it will be – I would give a final score prediction. I'm going to go with um, around 38-17. to 17. That's going to be my final score prediction. All right. So 
Uh, yeah, again, Auburn, Auburn's Tigers up against it a little bit as they travel to Death Valley this weekend against LSU. Of course, we'll have more thoughts on the show tomorrow. One final timeout for the show today. Back to start to wrap things up right after this. This is the Thursday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Sports Call crew wants to hear from you. Give us a phone call at 334-887-3401. I'm Deshaun Davis, former Auburn Tigers football player and all-SEC linebacker. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call. Final four or five minutes here on this Thursday. Ryan LaVoy, Brooks Childress, T.P. Hammock with you. Been a fun show today. Again, tomorrow we will have uh, all the college picks for you. We will uh, be breaking down, obviously, Auburn LSU, but then also uh, the other SEC games. There's a few top 25 games. Also tomorrow, very hopeful. Not optimistic, but very hopeful to be breaking down a soon to be game five of the NLDS and talking about uh, tonight's game. That is a seven o'clock start time. It, for those that might've been curious or might be a little confused, it was originally supposed to be around a five o'clock start tonight, but with every other series ending MLB uh, kept the option to move games around for obvious reasons so that you don't have an odd start time and not have anything in prime time. So that Braves Phillies game is now a seven o'clock start about seven Oh five first pitch. Uh, and it'll be on TBS, but we would love for you to listen to it on AM 1230 WAUD. Which is really interesting, too, that they decided to go. The, I know that you, you you want it in prime time, but also the fact that you made the decision to go head-to-head with the NFL if, That's for, true. for this game. Yeah. That's true, but I guess some people don't have prime. Still, That's true. So you're still you're going to win the the TV ratings, right? Because like I'll be honest, I don't have Prime, so like, and I'm I'm certainly not going to go make my way somewhere to watch Kansas City and Denver. With all due respect to Taylor Swift, uh, so in two weeks when Tampa Bay goes to Buffalo, you bet your butt I'll be somewhere with a Amazon subscription and and be watching the Bucks and the Bills. And uh, but 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 until I want my team and and here's the thing, I I bet you they have I'm not going to disrespect the shield I'm not going to underestimate it I'm sure that they have gotten plenty of subscriptions mainly for the for Thursday night football but even as much as I love the NFL and again I drive seven hours to see my team so I think that I qualify in that uh, I still am not paying for my to see the team once a week. And to see one game that, to be honest, halftime's pretty crappy. I mean, it's been pretty crappy to start this year. I went through the games earlier. There's going to be two or three good ones in a row, maybe even four. But 
it's not quite enough for me to shell out another however many dollars a month. And also it, it helps that I don't, I'm not on Amazon uh, order all the time. Like that would also be different if I was like having a package a month show up, but I, I'm maybe a, a package a year type of guy. So I, it, I'm not exactly sifting through the, uh, through the, through the webs of Amazon all the time. So anyway, that, that's a pretty useless side note, but anyway, I, I I am not going to be watching that game tonight. I'll be locked on the Braves, and I'll check the Chiefs score every 30 minutes, see that it's probably getting significantly worse from the last time I checked it, and that will be my relationship with the Broncos Chiefs tonight. And then I'm sure I'll see 7,000 tweets, X's, you know, post. post, repost, whatever, about, you know, hey, Taylor Swift clapped and <laughs> – that will be that, and and all we'll, due respect to Taylor Swift. What, again, with all due respect, and, and to her legion of fans, of which one of them is your wife. Yeah. Uh, again, it just it's not worth uh, the the monthly subscription. So, final minute or two of the show. Time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call's nightly TV guide presented by White Claw, Heart Seltzer, Brooks. What do we? I guess I just gave away some of them, but uh, what else we got tonight? That's fine. We, we always like little teasers. Your uh, one movie pick for the evening. It is spooky season. You know what? I think I need the uh, the, the fake lightning thunder sound effect that you hear in all tv shows i think i need that every time i say spooky season um but uh, maybe it's just some like halloween music yeah something something like that uh but it's spooky season tonight six o'clock on freeform uh sit down with the kids and watch a little hotel transylvania adam sandler stars as dracula in that movie if you uh it's been a staple on the nightly tv guide but uh, I've never really explained that he's Dracula in the movie. So if you haven't watched it, uh, there's your movie pick for the evening. Sports picks for you tonight. A lot of football on tonight, different levels. We'll start on in the college side of things. Six o'clock in FS1. West Virginia having a pretty good year. Uh, visits Houston down at Tadeku Stadium. Um, I don't know what company Tadeku is, but I would assume it's like a software company or something from that name. Uh, 6.30 on ESPN, you've got some uh, American Conference action as SMU visits East Carolina. Then at 6.30, some HBCU football on ESPN2, Fort Valley State visits Benedict. Uh, Of course, you've got the NFL action on Amazon Prime, the Taylor Swift Bowl uh, as Denver visits Kansas City. And then, of course, your Atlanta Braves take on the Philadelphia Phillies in a must-win game 7 o'clock on TBS. You can also listen to that game over on our sister station F- or on our sister station AM 1230 WAUD. And I want to remind everybody, that is the only place in Lee County that you can hear the Braves Radio Network call of the game. There's other stations that may have the national broadcast, but to hear the Braves Radio Network call, Ben Ingram, Joe Simpson, AM 1230 WAUD is where you can get it. Thank you very much for that, Brooks, and uh, we'll see you again tomorrow. See you then. And T.P. Hammock, thank you for being here today. I hope you have a great rest of your week, sir, and we'll see you again next week. Thank you, as always. That will do it for the show this afternoon. We appreciate Andy Bertram, the voice of the Auburn Tigers, for joining us. And as always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. For T.P. Hammock and Brooks Childress, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Thursday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.